This episode is brought to you by TickPick, where smart fans buy and sell tickets. Check out TickPick for the best ticket prices for your next game, concert, or event, and use promo code PODCAST to save 10 bucks off any order over $49. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com. Promo code PODCAST. Oscar Robertson flew off indoors. What a year it has been. The Bucks are the world champions. Moncrief going inside. Ray Allen driving past Armstrong. The jam over McGrady. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton! Happy birthday, Jason Kidd. This place is up for grabs. Behind the back. Holy moly! Dudley up top, open. It's got a clean catch. Milwaukee Play basketball and win. And win? Yeah. How many games? Six. We're gonna win. We're gonna win in six. Hello, welcome to episode 152 of the Win Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. And joining me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. <laughs> I'm glad to see you are suitably suited and booted for the occasion. <laughs> I'm new boot goofing. I, wow. Um, <laughs> That's from Reno now. It's appropriate that you are dressed so so smart for for this particular episode because this is this is not just our eastern conference predictions this is also our awards predictions and you look like you are ready to stroll up on that stage for that tnt awards show already they brought out the red carpet and that's not just because my house of residence has a red carpet i don't i don't have a red carpet my, I have a red carpet. Oh, yeah. I'm, my feet are on a red carpet right now, Jordan. Mm. There you go. What a way to start. <laughs> Last week, we ran through our Western Conference predictions. Uh, I would read them out to you, but I forgot to write Jordan's down. So I can't give you the quick recap of what they were. I have mine. You have them? Okay. Well, I'll yeah. run through mine, then you run through yours, and we'll get into East then. Going from the, the top down this time, because we can do away with all that suspense thing. I have the Warriors at one, the Rockets at two, Thunder at three, Timberwolves at four, Spurs five, Nuggets six, Jazz seven, Trailblazers eight, Clippers at nine, Grizzlies ten, Pelicans eleven, Mavs twelve, Kings thirteen, Lakers fourteen, and the Phoenix Suns rock bottom in fifteen. Drum roll, please. <laughs> number one, Golden State. Number two, Oklahoma City. Number three, Houston Rockets. Number four, San Antonio Spurs. Number five, Los Angeles Clippers, or LA Clippers. That's how they identify themselves. Number six, Denver Nuggets. Number seven, Portland Trailblazers. Number eight, Minnesota Timberwolves. Number nine, FS Grizzlies. Number 10, Utah Jazz, number 11, New Orleans Pelicans, number 12, Dallas Mavericks, I'm losing steam, number 13, 
Los Angeles Lakers, number 14, Sacramento Kings, number 15, Phoenix Suns. I don't know why you felt you had to read them so fast, because that was the know. problem there. You know, I didn't read them fast. I also didn't run out of breath. That wasn't a coincidence. <laughs> it was just, I don't know, it was a weird cadence that I t- took on for not for reason. Not for the first time, not for the last time. Exactly. Without further ado, though, let's move on to the Eastern Conference. Uh, most people shun the Eastern Conference these days. Refer to it as the weaker conference. The Eastern Conference is... Yeah, so it's okay. one that's very regularly thrown out there. Uh, this is not the case for me. I love the East. I I, I always have loved the East. I don't know what is wrong with me, but that is my affliction. Maybe it's the time zone thing. Get to watch the games earlier. The time zone thing is definitely a factor. <laughs> that was... Your man of... that loves your time. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love their time, Jordan? Uh, That was definitely a factor in my early days in the NBA. Maybe it's just kind of built into me now. But, you know, things are flexible. Here I am dealing with central time rather than eastern time. So, uh, what can you do? But maybe that plays into it. On this occasion, though, it's also the conference that really matters most to us. While everyone else is having fun over in the West, we're going to spend the bulk of our year... Volleyballs and their hula hoops. Playing spike ball. The new craze. We're going to spend our year down deep in the trenches that are the Eastern Conference. The sewers, like it. Uh, yeah, maybe that's the way we could put it. Um, <laughs> focused on the books. And with that, the teams that more often than not the books are going to be playing against are from that Eastern Conference, as Jordan put it. So let's get into it. Let's look a little bit closer at them. Jordan. As we did last week, let's start it from the bottom and work our way up. Now we're here. I was going to save the end part of that joke until the end of the podcast, <laughs> but there you go. You've blown it already. <laughs> you might, I will have forgotten it by the time we get there. I fully expect you to remember and bring it back up. In 15th place, what team do you have and with how many wins? Drum roll, please. <laughs> Chicago Bulls, 22 wins. I also have the Chicago Bulls. I have the Chicago Bulls with 16 wins. Mm. I had. Oh, I, I want to preface something. Sorry to cut you oh. off. What to cut, want to preface something. Did my first run of this yesterday before I settled on this. I came up 33 wins short. 33. So I was already underestimating uh, my predictions already, and I had to beef it up. So just let's bear that in mind, Pete, please. Well, I did all of mine last week, so I could deal with all of those totaling issues at the time before I went into the West. And I had the Bulls with more wins then, and then revisiting it before this podcast, I happened to pull up their depth chart, and then I frantically started giving away their wins to other teams near the bottom of the East. You chili-peppered it. Why do you think that you're going to get over 20 wins? Where do you see 20 wins coming from with this roster? Well, we're kind of meeting the middle. You you took it away. You gave it away. to keep. How many wins did you pepper. give them, though? What did you start with? I mean, did you I give them all? <laughs> okay, so in your gut, you really feel like they're going to be about as bad as I think. Yeah, but... 
to make things work. <laughs> I love the large percentage of the wins you had to make up that you just cast onto the Bulls. Well, you'll, you'll see shortly. Anyway. For, me, for me, okay, uh, Zach Levine out injured. Chris Dunn is also injured, right? Yeah, I don't think that's... It's like a two-week thing. That doesn't even need weeks. to be serious. They can't... Four weeks for this team without Chris Dunn? Most teams, they wouldn't bat an eye this team. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, without those players, you're looking at best players in the team being Robin Lopez, Nikola Mirotic. That is it. Next, next up, you're probably looking at players like Justin Holiday or Cristiano Felicia. Marketing? Zipser. Marketing is not going to do anything. I don't think he's going to be good. Oh. I didn't like him pre-draft. You're lowering his expectations, are you? He's not. Oh God. He's uh, not got exactly the best spot to develop in. I mean, he's got a good spot in terms of he'll have lots of opportunities. Uh, I just don't know who's going to teach him how to play. It's a bold approach they've taken that, you know, Fred Hoiberg coaching an NBA team hasn't worked out, so we'll just have him coach a college team in the NBA. We can't admit, though, I mean, they do have better personnel to play at the style that, you know, he was famed for and the reason why they wanted to bring him in in the first place. Yeah, but they can play to his style and still not be anywhere near good enough. Oh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that's, I guess, one small piece that Bulls fans can kind of... Actually, no, they wouldn't look anything forward to it because Bulls fans hate their team <laughs> with a bitter passion. Rightfully so at this point. I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they got a lot of good times. Look, that's, no, let's not start feeling sorry for them. But they have certainly had to make up for it in the last three to four years, like a double speed, you know? Uh, they've really kind of had things turn a certain way. I think what's interesting is, like, last week we talked about the Suns, and we talked about, well, I don't, just the Suns don't have anything really going on that makes you think they can do anything. They're really bad. But they have Eric Bledsoe and Devin Booker and Josh Jackson, and they've other capable veterans. I think there was a team I had closer to the Bulls originally in the East, and then I looked at both rosters side by side, and I went, how can I have those two teams close? It's not remotely comparable. Um, I don't know what Hoiberg is as a coach. I'm not convinced he's going to be a good NBA coach at any point and with that in mind there's not a lot to work with here they're really really in about the worst possible spot they can be they're in for a long rebuild like uh, only free agency can bail them out of that and okay they'll have cap space but they need some good things to happen so that free agents will even consider going there um the lakers have proven that the name isn't enough the jersey isn't enough and I don't think the Bulls will find it any easier, particularly when they don't have quite as uh, temperate winters as you would get in Los Angeles. Yeah. I mean, they are built to get a top pick in the draft. Try to get a Marvin Bagley, Luka Doncic, uh, Michael Porter. I'm probably forgetting a few others. Yeah, they're going to be really bad. Pound, pound for pound, probably the worst roster in the NBA. I think maybe the worst roster in the NBA for quite a few years. Oh, I don't know about that. They're the worst roster since like rock bottom Sixers. 
yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the the. I mean, that thirteen fourteen year when they didn't have Noel. Oh man, that was yeah, yeah. They're gonna be really bad, <laughs> very bad. Um, any player who you have any sort of hope for on this team that you'd say to keep an eye on? I I I I'm I like marketing. I think he's gonna be decent. Don't think it's enough to win uh, enough games, obviously, but I do like him. I think he could fit them. I think he's a good shooter. I think his obviously his performance in your basket is pretty pretty noteworthy. Um I I I like him there. I think there's a problem with marketing and Letty. I guess two of the maybe four players who are arguably competent on this roster also play at his position in Bobby Porras yeah, and Nikola Miritich. Like, I just don't know what is going to go on here. Uh, I just pretty much hope to never watch this team this year, aside from when they are playing the books and I have no choice. I will not be flicking over to Bulls games very often. Uh, I think Paul Zipser will have a fun year. Good for Paul Zipser. Jordan said to me before we started, he thought this one was going to be quick. And you know what? Maybe he's right. Uh, but saying that, there aren't many teams quite as boring, quite as bad mm. as mm. the Bulls. Jordan, who is 14th on your list? Drum roll. No, sorry. Um, New York Knicks, 27 wins. I have the Knicks in 13th place. With 29 wins, I have the Orlando Magic in 14th place with 23 wins. Mm. I have the Orlando Magic in 13th place. Can I got 13 or or reveal where I have them. They're much higher. Well, just one spot higher than 13. <laughs> 12. Okay, we'll get to them. We'll get to them. Uh, oh, you know, we'll do them now, and we'll do the Knicks then. We'll get it all, all out of the way, all this bad stuff first. Um, right, we'll, we'll go with the Magic now. My 31 wins, by the way. 31 wins you have. Okay, so eight wins more than I have. I actually upped the Magic's wins in part because of how bad the Bulls will be, and also I made that decision based on Frank Vogel is a good coach. <laughs> But I just still don't think he has enough here to make anything out of. It's really grim. I think we alluded to this a few weeks ago, and we definitely talked about it in terms of the Suns last week even. When you look at these teams who've had good draft picks for quite a while, they just always seem to pick the wrong guys. Magic fit that bill. Um, They fit it really, really well. And even guys who they do pick, it could be intriguing. Say someone like his own yet, just he really hasn't gotten opportunities. And we could say he hasn't been good, but I, I think that's even a little bit harsh. He probably needs more opportunities to really say, you know, he's not good. I'm not a believer in Aaron Gordon. I'm not fully convinced and would be probably more accurate to say I'm highly skeptical that Alfred Payton will repeat that late season weird triple double burst he had last year. Evan Fournier is fine, but I mean, not really all that good. And Nikola Vucevic is not your modern NBA center. And the Magic know that, which is why they signed Bismack Biombo. But then Vucevic is probably their best offensive player, and they'll need him on the floor to function on that end. 
Uh, maybe Terence Ross can really show something and kind of play at new levels. Maybe Jonathan Simmons can come in and play like he did last year in San Antonio, except in a bigger role. I don't know about Jonathan Isaac, and I feel less confident because of what he has around him in terms of his development at this point. I just... I don't see the veteran pieces that are good enough here to kind of really make them solid, and I don't see young pieces that are good enough to kind of push them beyond what they should be either. Yeah, totally agree. There's a bunch of pieces, and it's pretty jumbled. Can't really put the puzzle together. Uh, that John Hammond for former Bucks. Oh, we long their days. Uh, sorry, um, but yeah, it's just there. I, there are some pieces I like. Evan Fournier a, a fair amount. Like Jonathan Isaac, I like Wesley. I wouldn't do. Uh, I like him in the draft, but then again, I mean, I'm right there with you and Aaron Gordon. The Alfred Payton thing's kind of weird. Both those two guys are going in restricted free agency. I don't know how you even sort that out at all uh um yeah um and as you said Nikola Vucevic might be their best skilled player it's just yeah there's just they have an endless amount of point guards like Sheldon Max there CJ Watson no he's not there anymore DJ um, Augustine is though DJ Augustine's there I mean yeah it's a, a mess of a roster their so roster was. last year reminds me a lot of the Nets which is I think there's just there are, there are kind of an, a decent number of players who are kind of yeah okay they're all right NBA players. If they were in the bottom third of rotations on other teams around the league, there's plenty of guys you'd say oh well that's a good guy to have at that spot. They just have to have a whole team full of them for the most part. I think that's really incredible when you look at the amount of assets the Magic have had to play with as opposed to what the Nets had in getting to the point they were last year. It really is Rob Hennigan how he got away with that for so long. It's beyond belief. They have done such beyond a bad belief. job in recent years. Beyond belief, yeah, nice. Um I don't it's, know who I don't know who the to make of loose his job <laughs> essentially. I don't know who the Ray of Sunshine is on this team though. I, I think if it, obviously if Isaac can really come in and show a lot of potential as a rookie, that would be it because he, he's then your one guy. How much is Frank Vogel going to be into losing for a long time? I, I don't know. That's the thing. We'll get to the Pacers in due time. That, what did you feel so much better about? I'll, I'll say that. I'll say this has nothing to do with the Magic. I would feel so much better about the Pacers if Frank Vogel was still their coach, Jordan. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that is true. Uh, they made a complete mess of all of that. And he got away from a franchise that makes a complete mess of all of those things and arrived at another that makes a complete mess of all of those things. So Frank Vogel is stuck in some form of NBA purgatory. I haven't seen this mess of a roster since Space Mountain. Sorry. Uh, The Knicks, you had them at how many wins? 27. And that was your 14th place. I have them 13th at 29 wins. Not a massive difference in opinion here. I guess the one thing the Knicks have going for them is they have young players who are good. (laughs) They have young players you can hang your hat on and go, well, maybe we can make something out of them. Um, They've obviously got Porzingis. That's that's a big help in comparing a team to the Magic. Um, Now they've also got Frank Nidikina. 
They've got Billy Ernan Gomez. They are things to be excited about. They're really positive things you could build something around. I think the reason I didn't go quite as low on the Knicks is I think the biggest downsides to the Knicks come in terms of their cap situation and the deals they're handing out rather than the results we're necessarily going to see on the court from them. I think you can say the Knicks won't get what they're paying for in terms of uh, they won't get close to the playoffs in spite of playing random guys playoff kind of money. But I think they can be solid. Like Tim Hardaway Jr. was very good for the Hawks late last year. Was that just a contract year? If he can keep that going, he'll be good there and he will be very useful. Not up to his contract useful, but still good. Um, they have a guy like guys like Beasley and Ennis Cantor. Obvious deficiencies, but can be very useful for them in that McDermott, team. If, he, if his shot is rolling too, uh, I don't. I don't. Over I don't like him either. I'm just saying there's something. Um, I even like someone like Kyle Quinn. I've really liked for quite a while. The backcourt is where I'm a little bit more. Their uh, their point guard situation might be worse than the Bulls. And Nita Kina has had injuries through the summer and preseason and things. That I mean. That would push me over the edge if I was a Knicks fan. If he isn't healthy for all 82 games and I have to watch Ron Sessions or Jarrett Jack start at any point. Ron Baker, I guess, could start a point too. Just to make you all feel better, Knicks fans. Ron Baker's actually fine. His contract is also a little weird. But I also like Mendelgas Kuzminskis. There's lots of fine things on this Knicks team that are fine, not in... Not in a very grand way of wow, look at how look at how fine this team is, but is in yeah, okay. It's the off the court stuff, which is probably the bigger issue for the Knicks. So I don't like them, don't think they'll be that good, but I mean, if Neil Aquina comes in and really hits the ground running and they've got Porzingis and Hernan Gomez can take another step forward, they another good year from Hardaway Jr. They probably have potential to surprise unlike any of these teams, but it would take everything going right for that to happen. I just think some of these teams down there at the bottom of the East don't have an avenue where they could have a big surprising year. The Knicks might have that. It's just very unlikely. Maybe. I I don't know. And who's to say Porzingis stays healthy for majority of the year? I mean, he's already having his kind of injury concerns. Jeff Hordasek's kind of in a weird position because he was, I guess he was this organization's hire. I mean, Steve Mills is still there even with Scott Perry. I don't know. It's a weird kind of nah, he was gone. He was Phil's hire. He was a triangle hire. Yeah. And I, I Hornacek's, Hornacek's just whole coaching career in the last few years it's, is pretty weird at this weird. point. It's very weird the way everything went in Phoenix. The weird good season, the the weird bad season. Weird is the only word you can use to describe Hornacek's coaching career at this point. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if the Knicks can muster anything. I think they'll be more fun than people will automatically think they're going to be because they have got players who will be enjoyable to watch. Uh, maybe if you just turn on when the starters are in and turn off when the bench comes in. But it doesn't necessarily go to helping them be in any way good, straight off. Moving on, I have in 
twelfth place. I feel like this might be your thirteenth place team. The Brooklyn Nets. Correct. I have the Nets at thirty-one wins. I have them at twenty-eight wins. This is a greatly improved team, and they were kind of frisky last year without any good players. I think they're going to do some things. I think they will be really fun. Um, we've talked with the Nets, I guess, a few times through different ways. I'm a big believer in Kenny Axon as a coach. I think he showed really positive signs last year, what he could get out of the group. And now being able to put out a lineup that is, say, for example, uh, Jeremy Lin, D'Angelo Russell, Alan Crabb, Demary Carroll, Timofey Mozgov, something like that. I mean, you're, it's not a lineup of world beaters, but there's talent there. You've got actual players. Um, that's not mentioning guys like uh, Jared Allen, who was their pick this year, Ronda Hellas-Jefferson. Karis uh, LeVert. Karis LeVert, Isaiah Whitehead, Sean Kilpatrick, Trevor Booker, who was actually quite effective at times last year. Mm-hmm. They've got a nicely rounded roster. Like they're not good, but I think they they don't have glaring holes in terms of their depth. Uh, maybe centers where they're weakest, but at the same yeah, time, I, I, I don't think that's a bad thing if it means Jared Allen is going to get minutes. I I like what the Nets are going to bring this year. Again, don't think they'll be good, but I at least like what we should get to see from them. I think there could be some big things to come out of the Nets season too. In what way? Well, we'll call it a tease, and I'll get back to it later. But mm. I, I do think there's there's the potential for some really exciting things to start happening for the Nets. And they deserve a lot of kudos for how they've started to at least put something together that has some sort of future out of what is literally the worst situation that any franchise has ever been in the NBA. Yeah. They're legit. They're legitimately going to be fun, even if you know if it's thirty-one wins, if it's twenty-eight wins, if it's higher than either, or if it's lower. They're very interesting. You couldn't say that about them last year, or I mean, I don't know. You couldn't say that about them for a long time, honestly. I guess, I guess they were interesting when they got Pierce and Garnett and all that stuff, and then that kind of quickly faded away and. You kind of like, oh yeah, this team's just really old and <laughs> really grouchy against each other, uh, as has been famously written about. But yeah, they're gonna be fun. Daniel Russell, I mean, make that move. If you're a team like the Nets, you make that move every time. Um, they're gonna miss Brooke Lopez. They're really shallow at center. I mean, if Mozgov gets hurt, uh, you know, Tyler Zeller someone... as well. I mean, is oh yeah, I forgot Tyler Zeller. He's yeah. not. He's not good, but I mean, he. <laughs> He played for the Celtics. You know, he, he was actual depth for a good team. So yeah, yeah, they're they're just gonna be interesting. That's if you're a Nets fan, that's all you could have really asked for at this point. And honestly, in this conference, they're one freakish run in the season, one freakish run away from possibly getting in an eight seed mix. You know, say high thirties could get you within a game or two. I think that will get you eight seed. Well, we'll get that. Um, I don't. I don't. That that will become apparent, but I don't. I, I think it will take a little bit more, but you will have this big drop-off in what the wins say, the top, whatever I get, and then below. But I think, you know, just one weird run, and these runs happen. Um, say if the Nets had a start to the season like the Lakers had last year. 
and all of a sudden they're coming out way ahead of where they should be and then they perform to expectations from then on in it wouldn't be impossible that they'd be kind of within range of the playoffs late in the year and who knows what breaks you can get through injuries or if they were like the Suns in 2013-14 I mean they have intriguing pieces that could be like that they do kind of have that feel I mean big things for them are like they really could be that kind of team if Jeremy Lin can be healthy for once if DeMar Carroll can find some sort of health they don't think he's ever going to return to his best but if he can be solid for them and play upwards of 70 games uh, that would be a pretty big deal. And it would just make that whole thing a lot easier. I mean, if the Raptors felt they could get a solid Demari Carroll that would have played upwards of 70 games, things wouldn't have been as difficult for them and having to cough up to get rid of them. But if the Nets could get that, then you don't feel quite as bad about having to do that sort of thing. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think Alan Crabb, I've always had a soft spot for Alan Crabb. And I feel he'll get a lot of high-quality looks here and he'll get a lot of freedom. He could really show himself to be something that people don't think he is already. And something like D'Angelo Russell, Alan Crabb, that's fun. Like, that really is. And for a fan base who haven't had a lot to, to talk about in terms of fun in recent years, they should get some cool moments or some fun plays and nice little bursts from players like that. So the Nets are a team I actually would plan on watching quite a lot this year. I just think they're... They're going to be kind of a cool upward team in the NBA who they won't have of an upward team. Yeah, that's true. They won't have the obvious routes to go in uh, making their ascent in the East, but I think they're being pretty diligent at the moment. If they can keep that up over the next few years, it'll be fun to see where the Nets go. All right. How many have we got on your list now? We're up to, we've both got 12. Yeah. Okay. In 11th place, I have the Indiana Pacers with. 34 wins. I have two have the Indiana Pacers at 11 with 33 wins. Okay, so we're effectively on the same page here. I thought I was going to have one thing where I'd be very different to you in this list, but it seems like maybe not. I'll be honest, I thought the Pacers were going to be completely awful. And then it took the preseason game against the Bucks just when I actually saw all of their players. I went, huh. They actually can't be that bad, which is not a very good thing. Uh, <laughs> they could have done with being bad, but they've got a lot of very solid players. And in this conference, that's a problem if you want to land yourself a top pick. Uh, Miles Turner is still incredibly talented. He's still young. He's an exciting player. But then adding the likes of Tad Young or Boyan Bogdanovich. Even someone like Darren Collison, uh, Corey Joseph, Oladipo then on probably that scale too. They're just a little bit too effective. (laughs) Too many players who are going to be pretty effective. I know they've been talked about quite a lot as a team who they could be rated for kind of trades from good teams, playoff teams later in the year, for example, there could be teams who really want Bojan Bogdanovich again. That's been something he's had to deal with in recent years. And it may be the case again this year, or a Darren Carlson or a Tad Young. I think while they're all there, though, they're not going to have an obvious route to losing games, which is really what this team could do with. Yeah, I don't think they will be able to bottom up, but you could turn that around and spin it as a positive if they are kind of bubbling as they kind of, you know, threatening at least if Miles Turner has uh, a real breakout season. They have decent point guard play, as you said. Collison is 
competent. Uh, Corey Joseph is competent. Uh, and Oladipo and Lance Stevenson can both handle the ball too. So, I mean, they're not going to have problems in that department. Yeah. Um, maybe we are undervalued. I mean... I think my biggest thing here is I think Nate McMillan is a really bad coach. That's obviously relative. That's by NBA standards. I'm not saying I could do a better coaching job than Nate McMillan, but his rotations last year, when they actually had some good players, the lineups he put out as rotations were baffling. And I, I think an even bigger problem than not losing games to get a kind of a top draft pick with this team is going to be, I don't see any way where they're anything other than mediocre. That will kind of fall in line with what expectations are for them to be. I think Nate McMillan will be there, and he'll be there, and he'll be there, and he could be there for a few years. And I don't see any route to kind of developing something, developing a system, having any real plan in place with him as the coach. I would put him very close to the worst coach in the NBA right now. I, I saw the Pacers play live last year, and I was just baffled by some of the things he was doing in the game. Just completely baffled. It blew my mind. I've I've now been to a, a decent number of NBA games, considering where I live, live and in the flesh, and I've never had the feeling that I had watching Nate McMillan coach a team. And then I started to watch them some more to go, was I imagining that? Was that just a once-off thing? Was he having... No, it was really bad. So that, to me, definitely dampens what the roster might be able to achieve because the players are going to be pretty solid. I just don't think he's a good coach. You already kind of touched on the Vogel thing. Vogel with his team would make the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, it's, <laughs> you'd feel better about their future infinitely. Uh, Navy McMillan is kind of a blase coach. And <laughs> I think Paul George kind of felt that way. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. But that again, I think they are a team that, I feel like out of the teams that we have in the bottom half of the East, they could be the surprise team that kind of like, oh, they're still in it at, you know, it's March 21st, you know, kind of thing. I don't know. It's, there's something there. I just, we'll have to see if it all comes together. Yeah. And I I also think like they, they're kind of solid and well-constructed, but they're an injury to, Miles Turner or maybe Oladipo away from like Rune. Even Glenn Robinson III already has his injury coming in. So they're very short on wing depth, really, in terms of natural wing depth. So maybe that's another route. And they could be a solid team and they could just get unfortunate and their misfortune could lead to good fortune in the draft. We'll see. But They've Kudos done... to them for uh, going with Damian Wilkins, who was born before the Indiana Pacers were a thing. That's a terrible, that's a cliche joke. Damian Wilkins torched That is a cool story, books. though. Cool story. I would torched the books in preseason. Yeah. And for my joke, I, it, it I, was... I, that's how he's going to repay me. I mean, yeah, maybe in the regular season he will also torch the books just for that joke. Uh, I mean, Damian Wilkins comes from good stock. That's that's all we could say on that. Uh, it's not necessarily surprising that he would be a good basketball player. But it's surprising he's made his way back after... It was 2013, right? It was the last time he was in the NBA. Yeah. If he, if his, is it Dominique is his uncle, right? Dominique is his uncle, yeah. And he was the human highlight film. If Dominique is the human highlight film, 
Dane Wilkins would be the human highlight beta max? Laser disc? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that nickname will stick, but it's not a bad one, Jordan. We're starting. Not catchy. Today. But... <laughs> okay, we've got 11 teams. Not 11 teams each. We've got true to 11 place. At number 10, I feel like we're going to have the same team. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I have the Atlanta Hawks, and I have them at what's going to be a higher mark than you do, 39 wins. Mm. I also have the Atlanta Hawks only with 34 wins. Yeah, I guess this is where the biggest difference in our list is going to come in is just in terms of numbers. I think teams-wise, we're matching up pretty closely and probably will for the most part from here on in i think there you get to a certain point where maybe the hawks are maybe the hawks are still maybe an outlier i think that i have the hawks as high as this for the reason that i think mike budenholzer is that good of a coach and will be able to do the things that he does best with this group i I, that's probably a similar reason to why you have them in 10th rather than having them in 13th or 14th where they probably are on talent it might even be it might be the worst team right No, probably not, but they're not, not far off in terms of talent. I think this is a team who are going to, and this is not, no biases in this, genuinely. They're going to get closer than they should. This is the team I think will really push much closer than they should. And it's because their young players aren't necessarily the best known young players. Torian Prince, DeAndre Bembry, but they are good. <laughs> Torian Prince in particular is going to get a lot of time this year. And he could turn out to be really, really good and be someone who all of a sudden people are sitting up and taking notice and talking about Torian Prince as you know, a really talented young player. John Collins looks like a lot of fun and he's going to get a lot of minutes. And then even beyond that, okay, Kent Bazemore struggled last year. Kent Bazemore is a really good guy, an excellent locker room guy. And I think he actually may be at his best in a team with this dynamic. He's the kind of, Player, he's kind of close enough in age to some of the young players that he'll relate to them on a certain level. And obviously, he has his own story of having gone undrafted and worked his way up. But at the same time, he has been true quite a lot in the league now. He has his own veteran experiences. He'll help in that regard. Dennis Schroeder, I'm very conflicted about how being since basically the moment he came into the league. If he can stay out of legal trouble this year, he could average over 20 points a game and get a ton of assists. The Dennis Schroeder experience is going to be in full effect. Beyond that, then, they've got guys like Dwayne Dedman. It was a really good pickup on a good price. Uh, I won't talk about Miles Plumley. Mike Muscala, back for another year. Really effective big guy who has size, kind of rim protection, but also some of the skills you look for from a more modern center. Ursan is here. I think will be very effective this season. Marco Bellinelli worked with Bud at the Spurs. And again, as a system fit, could be a really nice option. And then also interesting guys like Tyler Dorsey and Nicholas Bersino. The Hawks are going to shoot a crazy amount of trees. The ball is going to swing around constantly. And I think they'll be surprisingly fun for most people when they happen to catch a Hawks game this year. I agree. Uh, compared to how we were talking about Nick McMillan, uh, Budenholzer has a pedigree. Uh, he has, I wouldn't say worse teams in terms of, you know, pound for pound talent, 
But if you remember that first Hawks season, that team yeah. was not not that much better, even though they did have like an all-star in Mil- Paul Millsap. Al Horford was hurt that year too. Um, I, what I would say about that team is like uh, Damari Carroll, who became, okay, we've gone through like the whole kind of, the whole Damari Carroll experience we've got from both ends of the spectrum in the time that has passed since. But he inherited Damari Carroll as basically an equivalent player in terms of rep- actually less in reputation to what Dwayne Dedman is on this team. Yeah. And I think it was forgotten very quickly just how he kind of cobbled these different pieces together to make them something that was really, really successful as a group. Even Corver, uh, people forget just Corver was coming off something of a low ebb and the league wasn't as three point as obsessed Bulls as it is now. Him, I mean, to Atlanta for, for nothing, of, really. Corver didn't have that copier machine or whatever it was. No, that was early in his career. Uh, yeah. But that was from the Sixers to the Oh yeah. Nets. Did he play for the Nets? Might be wrong on that. It, it was definitely it was involving the Sixers anyway. Um just a lot of the kind of players who became like, oh yeah, he's a good player. Yeah, of course. Uh, the Hawks, they've got good players, but not great players. When Bud came in, he took control of that team. They weren't even good players. You know? um, when he took over from Larry Drew, there was a lot of work to do, and he got down to doing it. This team has more young potential. They won't make quite the kind of impact or jump that he was able to with that group. But really, I, I think Torian Prince is going to have a really big year. I, I mean, a surprisingly big year. Um, I think he could be a 12, 13, maybe 14 points per game average kind of guy who also has more than his fair share of assists, more than his fair share of rebounds, is very athletic and switchy defensively. He'll cause a ton of problems, and he's super athletic. He'll do fun things. There is just, likewise, John Collins is going to be a lot of fun to watch with this group. I wasn't the biggest John Collins fan when his name was being thrown out as a potential books target by some people pre-draft. But on a team like this, he will be fun, and... It'll be interesting to see how chemistry builds up. Tyler Dorsey was someone I liked second round for the books even, and he'll be a perfect fit in this system. They're just going to have a lot of kind of fun things going on that they're going to be a really kind of nerdy NBA team. They're not going to be everyone's kind of It's the Hawks. It's actually, they've gone back to being the Hawks as the Hawks were. Yeah. Um, But hey, we'll see what happens. I think though they will get very, very close, much closer than they have any right of doing to the playoff mix. Agreed. I, and agreed on Dennis Schroeder. It's, he's a very uh, easy player to be conflicted about, but there is talent there. Uh, he was fine. I mean, he was pretty reasonable for them, reasonable, respectable under his first season of kind of being the guy, I would say. Um, but then again, you know, how does that change with uh, under you know different expectations, all that stuff? Without Millsap, I'm worried about that though. I think he's he is now he is now the guy. I mean, he was the point guard last year, but he is now the guy. Like that's it's going to be a roller coaster. He's going to lose them some games that they should win as well, which will be interesting if they actually do come close to the playoffs. But I, well, we I have to remember too. I mean, last year's Hawks season was so. I don't think that gets enough, like, I think in the moment it was recognized, but looking back at it, that was such a weird season. They trade Corver, they were on the 
you know, a, it was, it was a mess. Like the Atlanta, it was a mess. Yeah, complete organizational mess. mess. There was no, and I, I think that would still be a concern for anyone who follows this team closely. Is that uh, the owners have sent out very mixed messages since buying the team as to what they really want. Um, I don't know what they expect of this group either. That would be something that would concern me if this team does turn out to be bad, which they probably should be. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they make some sort of ridiculous rash decision on like Budenholzer's future, because I'm just not so sure what the ownership are looking for, what they had in mind. They were all in on, no, no, we're not, we're not breaking this team up. We want other things going forward. Then they made moves and then they didn't make moves. It's just a mess. And the mess really started with the way the Horford situation went the year before when Horford really wanted to come back and they wanted him to come back. And they decided, oh, no, we also want Dwight Howard and we'll make enough of a mess of it to be, you know. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and then Schlenk is a completely new voice in that mix. So no one knows really what he sees in this team or what he wants. What I will say is if the Hawks can be good on the court this year, they become a very intriguing team because they are now very rapidly becoming the league's best asset hoarders. They're just like the Cavaliers throwing them things for fun. I think they can continue to kind of they're one of the teams who have the option to continue facilitating and doing things like that. And it could play to their advantage longer term. Shall we move on? Shall. Okay. So up to number nine. Number nine. The team who will just miss out on the Eastern Conference playoffs. Technically, the team I have at nine have the same record as the team I had at 10. I have the Miami Heat with 39 wins. Oh. I know you're going to have the Philadelphia 76ers now, aren't you? Yeah, you're correct. And you're disappointed in me for putting them into the playoffs. No, no, I'm not disappointed. We can all hear it in your voice, Jordan. You've already betrayed yourself. (laughs) Uh, 36 wins I have for the 76ers. Uh, Well, I have the the Sixers in 8th place with 40 wins, so just making it. Who's your 8th place team? Is it the Heat, you can just say? No. Okay, let's do the Sixers then. They're not going to be as good as Sixers fans want them to be. This team is not going to win 75 games this year, much like Philadelphia basketball Twitter thinks they're going to. Um, The hope is that they win enough games that they can finally get over not winning Rookie of the Year. I think they're going to be kind of good, though. And a big part of that comes in that I believe in Brett Brown, the coach, as much as I believe in a lot of their young talent. Um, because as much as the talent is important, like it goes out saying that there are big question marks, um, virtually all in terms of health over this group. If Joel Embiid can play 50 plus games this year, they'll be very good in those games. It'll be a big deal for them overall. Um, a lot of the rest of it then comes down to how does Ben Simmons kind of settle in and what does he become in his first year? The Markel Fultz stuff recently is kind of going under the radar for just how mm, strange it feels. Um, And it is interesting for him to have been the number one pick, and yet there's no buzz for Fultz being the potential rookie of the year. He's officially uh, not starting. Yeah, I I heard that. I don't think that's a bad idea. I I don't disagree with it either. I think it's it's actually the way that probably more teams should deal with their top guys because there is an adjustment period. Uh, but, I mean, a lot... The one thing that I guess has been focused on quite a bit is his shot, and that's obviously not something new. And 
it's interesting because it's also on the same team where Ben Simmons shot kind of brings up a whole host of questions too. So it's going to be interesting to see in that regard. But other than that, I think Jared Bayless being healthy again, if he can stay healthy, we're all more than familiar with Jared Bayless. Very solid point guard who will be good for this team. TJ McConnell has done a perfectly serviceable job for them. Um, JJ Redick is obviously going to be a big difference maker compared to what they had last year. And then Darius Saric with the year under his belt should be effective, should be able to contribute. They brought in Amir Johnson. Guys like Rashawn Holmes can contribute still. Uh, Justin Anderson. Timothy Wahoo-Cabro, little disappointing last year. Maybe he'll get more chances this year. And finally, Firkin Korkmaz has come over, who I've been Bleep. quite a fan of for a little while. So we'll see what chances he gets and what he can do with it. Like this team is really gonna go as Embiid goes. I think that's it's as simple as that because for all of the potential they have, he's someone who's already showing like concrete signs of the talent. I would lean towards thinking though that Ben Simmons is gonna be really good this year. I think that extra year is gonna make a difference. And I think too one thing about this, maybe I'm reading too much into it, and it's very indirect, but there are examples of how players of his capabilities can thrive in today's NBA. Uh, obviously, there's Giannis, but there's also LeBron. There's kind of these interesting for, for uh, <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say there. Uh, Blake Griffin, I, I could throw, you could throw in there too. These guys that can really handle the ball, that can distribute, that, you know, Obviously, he has his uh, limitations with his shot, but he is a very, very good passer, very good kind of, you know, orchestrator of the offense. Um, yeah, I mean, this team resembles an NBA team. There are still some players that, you know, you don't really know if they can really top out a, a, in their potential, but they have legitimate players that can – I mean, I, I still think the J.J. Redick, that was exactly what they needed. Uh, and it's one year, $23 million. Who knows if he ends up being there longer? I mean, that's very much a play, depending on you know how, how well they do this year. But as you said, I don't think there's one – I mean, you could maybe throw in the Grizzlies, maybe go bear with the Jazz, but I don't think there's one player that swings what one team could be compared to – what they could be without him than Embiid. Oh, I, I don't mean, think it's that's... close. I mean, if, if he did miss the whole season for some reason, this team could, like, plummet way down these Eastern Conference rankings, even in the weak East. It's, yeah. Because then you are, no matter if they're talented rookies, you're going to be leaning very heavy on a lot of rookies or a lot of second-year players. And, I mean, that's not to mention that up front, if Embiid's injured... <laughs> Are you going to Okafor? Is Amir Johnson playing center? Uh, Rashawn Holmes probably is maybe the most likely between him and Amir Johnson, but it's it's going to be weird still. Um, they do have issues too. I mean, just kind of getting their talent on the floor and so trying to get these young players to another level while keeping a balance is going to be tricky. Shards and, and uh, Simmons are, is probably the most, biggest. Most obvious one, and even... I guess that's an issue because you could say, okay, well, it's not ideal, but we'll play one of them at the tree. You don't want to do that because Robert Covington's really good. Um, 
even further down though that's like when we talk about Fultz even if he's going to have his struggles there will come a point this year I don't think it's a bad idea to start up from the bench but there'll come a point this year where you need to just get him reps and really get moving with that and they have enough going on other positions that they could be good enough that they're in a spot where they're like okay we could put Fultz in now but Jared Bayes or TJ McConnell could kind of keep us in a playoff mix. And I think like they're, they're at a point as a roster where they should still be prioritizing development more than anything else. But you'd have to think as a franchise and a fan base, they've reached a point where they, they need some taste of success, some light yeah. at the end of the time. And it's year I think, five. right. It'll make for interesting dynamics if they get to that kind of position where it's, you know, how will Sixers fans feel if they make the playoffs playing a lineup that is like Bayless, Reddick, Covington, uh, maybe a healthy dose of Amir Johnson? Like you're playing older guys that get you to the playoffs with bursts of those younger guys. I think they'll feel good in the moment, but I don't know if that would be best for them longer term. One more year of missing uh, in exchange for making sure that, say, next year, Fultz is the real deal. Simmons is the real deal. Uh, Corkman and Luau Cabrero, they've got opportunities to prove themselves. That could be just so valuable to this team longer term and with the insane amount of potential they have. But there's going to be kind of an internal struggle for them on what route they choose to go this year. It'll all be irrelevant, though, if Embiid can't, as I said, probably get at least 50 games. And 50 games is not a high mark for most players, but it's an incredibly high mark from what we've seen so far for John Bede. So we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, I really like this team, these players. I would like to see the Sixers do well. Um, I would really like them to do well if I didn't have to see all of the things Sixers Twitter says. And if I just didn't have to deal with Sixers fans ever, ever again, Jordan. I'd really want the Sixers to do well, but unfortunately we do, so... You know, if they do well, good for them. If they don't, oh, what a pity. <laughs> what a pity, Jordan. Anything else on the Sixers? No. All right. So you said you don't have the Heat at number eight. Who do you have at number eight? The Detroit Pistons. How many wins? 39. I have the Detroit Pistons at number six with 42 wins. I'll let you go first, Jordan. <sighs> I was going to comment that I was doing the Twitter on for the last preseason game. I was going to make a joke and then I decided it would probably be best to come from my account and then I just forgot to do it. This Pistons team is really boring. And it's very there's it's a certain it's a special kind of hell seeing Reggie Jackson take step back, dribble the life out of the ball, and then take step back threes, and then see him airball, which he did once on Friday night. I like Avery Bradley a lot. I, I probably like him way more than I should, but he's a very valuable player and has been kind of you know it just it feels. To call him underrated at this point. Everybody calls him underrated. That it's fair to say that he's overrated because of how many people call him underrated. But that was a good pickup for them. But Celtics that, made him underrated again in the way they got rid of him. I know they had to clear space, yeah, but they could have done yes. it in other ways. So the Celtics 
themselves proved that they underrated every Bradley and how they got rid of him. Yeah. But this team is it's really it's just boring. It's very blasé. It just reminds me of kind of Pacers last year. They all have these kind of if not average guys, just above average guys. I think Andre Drummond is fine, but again, he's deeply flawed. He's not really it's funny to see how his this career arc or his his the perception around him has changed so dramatically after being this kind of you can't keep him off the boards he he knows how to the, the Moses Malone type guy and then he has one he obviously had a stumbling season last year and as the Pistons did as a whole but it just it feels like the league has already passed him by in just a year they were in the playoffs against the Cavs and Played them pretty well in four games. They obviously got shut out, but it's just weird how this team's trajectory has gone in the matter of, you know, 16, 18 months. It's, they're just really boring. It's funny the Drummond thing you mentioned. We had uh, the fancy NBA league we're about involved in. We had our draft earlier today as we record this. And I remember two years ago, Andre Drummond went, uh, I, I want to say top 15. Maybe it was just the other side, but he was top 20. He went really high in the draft, and that wasn't a bad decision because he was no. a rebounding machine. He was like averaging, say, 16 and 16, and he didn't have maybe some of the deficiencies he had elsewhere. He was trying harder is probably the best way I can put that. And today, I'm not sure exactly where he went, but with picks in the 50s, I was watching him drop and drop and being like, hmm, I wouldn't mind if Andrew Drummond was there for me at that pick. He ultimately wasn't, but the fact that he's not a guy who's, like, old, he's not, like, at an age where we should be going, oh, he's past his prime, and there's that kind of drop-off in, not just, it's not even necessarily production, but the general buzz and perception around Andrew Drummond is really interesting. I do think he's going to have a much better year this year. I'm I'm feeling we yeah. could see something of a bounce back year from Andre Drummond. I've always quite liked anything I've heard about him or any interview I've kind of read or watched in him. I, I like his personality and I feel there's something there that, you know, it can work out. Being with the Pistons, with the players he's been with throughout his career there doesn't help. I think Greg Monroe is a great example of that. Yes. And in many ways, Drummond's skill set is better suited to today's NBA if he can maximize his abilities than Monroe's is. But if you look at how last season Greg Monroe was able to put in a season like he was, that's a testament to how being with the Pistons isn't necessarily good for anyone's game or I would guess their mental health for the last... Uh, <laughs> the guts of a decade at this point. I'm a big... Big, big Avery Bradley fan. I, I think that's just going to make a massive difference. I think he'll take on a much bigger role in this team than he had with the Celtics. I think if ever there's a guy who couldn't be any more different to Reggie Jackson, it may be Avery Bradley. And I think Van Gundy will channel a lot of the things that would have had to go through Reggie Jackson in the past, Avery Bradley's way. And we'll see that he can do more than maybe we thought he could do before even. Uh. If I was involved with the Pistons, I'd be doing anything I could to get rid of Reggie Jackson. And I would consider putting out a backcourt of Langston Galloway and Avery Bradley. 
No um, Ish Smith. No, I think Ish Smith's good off the bench. Yeah, I think he's yeah. he's a good second unit leader, particularly considering what the rest of the second unit on this team would be like. Um, and as much as say a Bradley Galloway backcourt would have its problems, um, it also has very obvious strengths and it has something you could then hang your hat on and start to build an identity with. For as much as Stan Van Gundy has tried, the personnel have never just been there to allow him to build his team as he wanted. I feel sorry for him in that regard, but the problem also is that he was in charge for a significant spell of time for trying to get the personnel he wanted. So, I mean, he still is. I don't know if he was. He still is. Um, the fact that that hasn't come about is kind of falling on his shoulders too. Beyond that, though, I believe he's still a really, really good coach. And I'm not putting the Pistons as high as I am because I love the Pistons. I really don't. I just prefer them to the alternatives. And I think they have... They have the pluses there that could make them better than the alternatives. I think of the teams around this kind of mix, they actually all have good coaches, which is a common team. And I guess that's what's separating a lot of these mediocre teams in the East is the teams with good coaches will probably make the playoffs. And those that don't have good coaches will miss out. You might have one or two exceptions to that rule, uh, but that would be it. I just think the Pistons are going to have enough though. And importantly, particularly compared to one team that I know I have my list, um, Pistons don't have injuries yet. You know, there's a team that I, I know I would have had in the sixth spot that I have the Pistons in if it wasn't for an injury. But hey, there is an injury, so this is how it is. I'm relying on Andre Drummond showing something more than he did last year, but I think he will. What else they get from there is interesting. It remains to be seen if Tobias Harris could do more, that kind of thing. As you said, it's not interesting when you're talking about. Like, if there could be more, that hinges on whether Tobias Harris can be better than he is. Well, that's really boring then. But in the East, you don't have to be exciting. You don't even have to be all that good. And this is a team who I think will probably just get over 500. It's kind of funny. I mean, we always talk about the the from the Bucks side of things and just how the salary cap exploded in the 2006 summer. And you kind of look at the Pistons the same way they got – was that last year? It was two years ago. Yeah. They had Tobias Harris at the trade deadline kind of thinking, oh, yeah, we'll take out a bigger bill and, you know, build up from that way. Then they go get Ish Smith, who, you know, played better than Reggie Jackson did at a point. They also did they the Reggie Jackson like... deal at the time. Did his oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, they also – John Lewis there. They got him for like four years, something, 40 million. Yeah, and that was also uh, – wasn't that – Maybe it was the second summer. It was Van Gundy's second summer as decision maker. Maybe more. It was it? third. Wow, he's there a long time now. Yeah. And they also got Boban, who, I mean... They haven't done anything with Boban. To be fair, I, I think Boban... Like, okay, it was with the Spurs, and there's a danger in role players with the Spurs in buying in that they can do the same thing elsewhere. But he could do some things with the Spurs, but they don't really look to use him really but all it's, that it's much. it's more the same. It, it, he's very – it's not like a different – it's not like a change of pace for Drummond. He's just bigger and <laughs> more in your face to try to rebound over. I guess that could help them, but who's to say if it will or not? Uh, yeah, I just – I don't know. They just – I think the other thing too, I really – obviously it's hard not – you can't say Stephen Gundy is not a, co- a good coach. I think that's there's more than enough 
history at this point to prove that he is a very good coach. Just think what happens when that message kind of gets tuned out from those players and they have personalities, including Drummond, uh, that I feel like once that gets tuned out, I, I mean, you have a season like they did last year. Yeah, and I think Van Gundy could be another example of one of countless guys. Again, this is kind of a phase in the NBA that hit them at the wrong time, which is the coach and president of basketball operations. Yeah. Maybe he'd just be better being the coach. You know, Forget about all that other stuff. As much as you want to have it's that It's a control. needless distraction at this point. Right. It's, it's different if the team is shaped then to a point where you want it to be and you can kind of put more focus on what you're doing at the court. But this team still needs to figure out an identity and a clear direction on the court before you get super bogged down and how do you improve it. You need something to build on before you bring more new faces in. And, you know, it's it's a little bit messy in that regard. But, yeah, it can be that messy. And the East, I still have them as my number six. Okay, who is your number seven? The Charlotte Hornets. Wow, same as mine. Um, so there is one big difference we have in our in our upper echelon being I the Miami. That's, that's the only that's it's going to stay that way. Hornets are my seven too. I have them at forty one wins. Forty one as well. As I alluded to, they would have been my sixth seed and probably quite a few wins better if not for the Nicholas Batum injury. It is better than first feared. So you know what? It's not going to be the end of the world. It's going to hurt them quite a lot, though. They couldn't afford to lose him for any meaningful period of time. They have to begin with, and in reality, they're probably going to lose him at other points throughout the season. He does have a habit for picking up injuries. Uh, With that, I mean, Kemba Walker, you know what you're going to get. And that's it. Uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist hasn't been able to build on the potential he's shown, and really he hasn't come back from injury like the player he was before either. Marvin Williams was an overpay. He will give them, I guess, reliable stretch four in terms of he will shoot and play to four. How successful his shooting is could be inconsistent. And then the rest of the roster, I mean, you've got Dwight Howard's tur trying to, I don't know, uh, rehab his image, rediscover his game. It continues in Charlotte. Maybe this is the spot where it works. Very good relationship with Steve Clifford. It just doesn't feel all that likely. And it's particularly interesting, as I think a lot of people who would follow the the Hornets more closely than either of us have pointed out, they were at their best generally last year with Cody Zeller on the floor. So bringing in the White just means less minutes for Cody Zeller. It's tricky. Uh, Malik Monk is uh, interesting exciting player but whether he becomes anything as a rookie it's a big question and beyond that depth is not good here in charlotte where michael carter williams and johnny o'brien and frank kaminsky it's just really a collection of jeremy lamb it's jeremy lamb yep a collection Stone is there, Julian Stone, Christ. former Bucks summer leaguer. Wow. I mean, do, do I need to say more? I heard they're uh, looking at Chris Copeland next. I, I that is a joke. I hope that's a joke. 
<laughs> yeah. They, uh, I mean, good for Cope if he can trick anyone into that. <laughs> yeah, he does play in a lot of uh, pickup games from what we saw this summer. Um, it's it's really funny. This team, I, they're kind of the same. Even though they got they picked up Dwight, even though they got uh, were able to <laughs> rid themselves of Miles Plumlee and his constant unicycle related injuries, um, they're very same, very the same. They're thin. Uh, they have this weird subsection of Bucks slash Wisconsin related players. Uh, Kim Walker is really good, but he also had another knee procedure. The Batum injury really. I I was. Originally, like you, I, I was originally going to dock them uh, more wins, but the prognosis has kind of uh, been to their favor. I just, I don't know. I'm looking at this, and I think I should have docked them more. I, yeah, <laughs> maybe, me too. Maybe the team that I have missed the playoffs should have been in instead of these. Two years ago, they, I mean, even the Hornets, because I was kind of down on them last year, but I was still kind of scared of them. I don't, they're not a scary team. And the other thing, too, the whole Cody Zeller, Dwight Howard dynamic. I mean, Zeckler was already saying that he wouldn't be surprised if Dwight eventually gets benched, and I feel like no, he, he's not alone in saying that. I agree with him in that. I mean, let's let's stop with this Dwight renaissance. It It's hard watching big men age in itself. And then you have a player of Dwight's kind of just head case antics. I mean, that can, that alone kind of torpedoes a season, even if it can be as magnificent, magnificent of one as the Rockets did a couple years ago with them. I just, uh, they're just playing, they're playing in average to me. They're going to stagger because they've no choice to stagger, but just to illustrate how bad their depth is, with Batum injured, if on opening night, they took their five starters out and they, they decided to put five new guys in, the best five guys they could probably put in are going to be MCW, Malik Monk. Is it Trayvon Green? Or Trayvon Green? Tra- 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 Trayvon Green. Trayvon um, Him. Uh, because he's the only backup small forward. Um, Frank Kaminsky and then Cody Zeller. My God, that is maybe the worst bench in the NBA. <laughs> Really, that might be the worst bench of the NBA. Yeah, that's. I don't know. The Bulls bench is going to be that much worse than that. Like, really, it's it's very grim. I I guess my biggest, um, I guess my biggest reason for being higher on them than what I have suddenly realized I actually am is Kemba Walker and Steve Clifford, and that's it. And if Kemba Walker does pick up some of his injuries. This team has nothing. If he gets even a minor injury while Batum is out, I mean, this team has no chance of winning a game. Yeah. So that's my uh, that's my seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> Jordan's seventh seed too. So yeah, um, they are not even the worst team to make the playoffs in the East, according to Jordan. Right? Okay, we're finally gonna get to the team you have in sixth, or the team I have in ninth. The Miami. Did you have that wins? What was wins? For you with the heat? 39. I have them at 44. Explain that to me. Eric Spolstra, is that the answer? No, well, that is a big reason. It is mm-hmm. funny. I maybe 
I am a dumb fan sometimes. But it is it is kind of cool to see this narrative, especially it wasn't just last year, but kind of the second half of the year before and Wade's last year and how they kind of reinvented themselves with like the likes of Joe Johnson, Luol Deng. Uh, basically after Bosch, uh, his second blood clot issue, um, and how they kind of resurged. They, remember, they made the second that round team, of the playoffs. That team that made the playoffs and Dwayne Wade played out of his mind were super fun in that playoffs. Oh yeah, that was oh, the one yeah. they went seven games with David. Against David? Toronto, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just I don't know. I, Eric Spoelstra is a really good coach. Obviously, their offseason has kind of been meh, bad, to the nth degree, bad. <laughs> I will say, James Johnson had a good year with them last year. Deion Waiters is Deion Waiters. Kelly Olynyk is. Okay, but it's still four years, sixty million dollars. That he these are all bad players. (laughs) You can call them bad. I call them vorp-rific. Oh god! (laughs) I highly doubt Kelly Olynyk is vorp-rific. I don't know. The man button says otherwise. I mean, he might start for them. I I feel like it's not vorp-rific. They also have kind of this weird. Kind of crew of guys like Rodney Magruder, even though he's hurt, unfortunately for him. The Josh Richardson, Rodney Magruder, Justy Swinslow, uh, Tyler Johnson Club. Oh, or O'Caro White still on this team, right? Yeah, Udonis Haslam still there, 15 years. That's more of kind of like a ceremonial thing. But I will say, I think Goran Dragic is in for a big year. Uh, yes, if he stays healthy, and maybe I'm overrating his. Euro basket performance, but he is kind of one of those guys where I mean he his the I feel like I've referenced the Suns, the Suns team like 80 times. But he was really good for that Suns team. He was all NBA player. Uh if the Heat are very good or a playoff team, I should say at the least, he's gonna be a big reason why. Sam Whiteside, I know uh <laughs> Twitter antics aside, he kind of blossomed into a impactful player, not kind of the stats guy, the 26-20 and uh, everything else. I mean, he's kind of legitimately become an impactful player for them. Other than that, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Those things you said, though, none of them are that high. I think Dragic is the one who you can go, okay, they've got Goran Dragic. He's going to get injured, though. He always picks up some injuries along the way. And beyond that, I, I like this is a group. Uh, they only have thirty nine wins for me because of Eric Spolstra. I mean, that's I have them missing the playoffs by one game, and it's only because of how good he is. My opinion on this team, my reading is they should account their lucky stars that they were so competitive and so close last year and moved on rather than locking themselves into the most mediocre core. Almost the guys who are paid for any length of time in the NBA. Um, we just talked about the Hornets and the Pistons. <laughs> uh, what you're saying, Dion Waiters, James? Well, Johnson, I'm just saying is... those are. I mean, they're not good contracts in itself, but I mean, look at the contracts that like the Pistons and Hornets shelled out to Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, Nicholas. Bertrand. Right, right. But I feel like they have. I like Garn Dragic. I think. 
I'd feel better with Kemba Walker longer term, just as I feel like there's something I could yeah. build around. And then obviously the Hornets, like we're factoring in that Nick Batum is going to start the season injured. Nick Batum is a lot better than any piece other than Goran Dragic on this team. Maybe that's the opinion. Yeah, yeah. That would be probably my take on it. I don't know what you're doing paying Kelly Olenek that. I've no idea. Can't begin to comprehend. Like, I mean, James Johnson has proven to be effective and this kind of interesting weapon at the four. You've given him way too much money. You've got Sam Whiteside, so you're not going to be playing Olenek as like a starting center and going small in style and doing something different. And you've also drafted Bam Adebayo, so you're going to want to do stuff with him. So what is Kelly Olenek going to do? It makes no sense. No sense. Um, I don't know where the minutes are to go around in this front court to serve being good, to serve the players you're paying, and then to serve your lottery pick. Yeah, lottery pick um, in Bam Adebayo. The Wings, maybe where the most interesting players are on this team, but injuries are a factor. I don't know if they have a backup point guard, though. Like, at all. Oh. Like, if Goran Dragic is injured, they have no one. You're paying... Tyler you're, Johnson? I don't think he's a point guard. If, like, that's ESPN have him on the depth chart. He's a, he's a two, really. I mean, it's going to be him or Waiters having to initiate, but you don't have an actual point guard to provide backup on this roster. No. I, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't like Sam Whiteside all that much. Um, I think he... In many ways, we had Lynn Sanity. We also had Whiteside Sanity. Not quite as catchy. <laughs> it just, it's only Eric Spolster that has me remotely interested in this team and has me thinking they'll get close, even in a bad Easter conference. Maybe I'm wrong, and Dion Waiters and James Johnson are the most stable, consistent players the NBA has ever seen, just like we all knew they would be. I'm just highly doubtful of that proving to be the case i think they've taken a big risk and one with not a lot of upside just on a very basic level what is the ceiling of the heat in the next two three years yeah it's fair questions to ask so yeah i don't like the heat that's what are nine for me but hey tresky has them at six okay we're back on even footing now this is where it really starts to matter jordan who do you have at number five hmm your Milwaukee Bucks. I have the Toronto Raptors. What? What? I was not prepared for this. <laughs> How are you not prepared for that? You should know me by now. How many wins have you the Bucks at? 45. I have the Raptors at 46. I'm assuming. I don't know, actually, no, I could be wrong with you. Raptors, your four seed? Nope. Wow, you're, you're a sick individual. <laughs> I can't begin to wrap my head around that. Uh, okay, well, the books are my four seed. I have the books clinching home court and doing so with 47 wins. Can we talk about the books, Jordan? What was the record again? Sorry. For the books? Yeah. 47. I think the, the over-under is 47.5. Yes. Um, so I'm I'm basically hedging that bet as much as I can. Uh, but I, I find this tough to do without having done the Raptors before. Um, it's also tough to just jump into a five-minute thing on the books where we go, oh, the books, you know, they've got Yanis. And, um, <laughs> very, 
I just think they are now at that level and it's just about consistency. That's just about not doing what we saw in the first three games of preseason and doing what we saw in the last game. It's really that simple. It's trying to eliminate the spells they had last year. You want to have, you're going to have bad games, but you want them to be a bad game and you bounce back the next game. It needs to be more like that rather than these crazy spells of, oh, we're we're on this like run where we've won 15 of 17 games. And now we're on this run where we've won two of 17 games. That is not the best way for the team and for all of our collective sanity to go through a season. So if they could stop doing that and just kind of change it to having single games where they just kind of wet the bed. And you do that and you move on. I think that's the key, and I think they will do a better job of that this year. Um, like You've got to just take Yanis at basically face value for what he is as a player and say... He is probably better than anyone not named LeBron in this conference. Yeah. That's, um, that really matters. And I, I think Chris Middleton is... Chris Middleton might be a top 10 player in the conference. I haven't I haven't actually counted that one true, but just trying to think <laughs> on the top of my head, I don't think it's far off. It. Yeah, I don't think that's far off either. So if you're a team with two top 10 players in your conference, eh, you've got to be pretty well positioned. I think I, I do just feel there is enough here. You have them a little bit less. Like, what... I can't believe you have Toronto ahead of... Um, what is it that has you just holding back a little bit? Where is the hesitation? I agree on the consistency. I mean, who? if you're a Bucks fan, you everyone has to agree on that part. I think... And I hate to have preseason really shade my thinking, but it's going to be something that we are going to kind of talk about, I feel, for the whole year. Maybe at least for the majority of the year. Actually, no, for the whole year. I'll, I'll stick to my guns. Um, they have, obviously, Giannis. They have Chris Middleton, Greg Monroe. I mean, he, as Zach Lowe said, he could be a very possible six-man of the year candidate. Other than that, though, I feel like there is no one else that can I, – I don't want to paint it that way, but I don't feel like there is a player on the roster that can really pop out as being something they can be valuable role players. I mean, we saw with Malcolm Brogdon, we saw it with Tony Snell, uh, Thon. I just don't see that kind of pop. I don't see there's going to be internal growth. There's maybe it's just in form of consistency, but I don't see that kind of uh, it's not star level player, no, but I, something below. I get what you're saying. I agree with it, but I don't think it's needed. I, they don't need another player to do that. If Giannis and Middleton and Monroe can be pretty consistent in what they do, you don't need like another player who's capable of doing that. What you need is one of a rotating cast of Tony Snell, Malcolm Brogdon, Mirz Kledovich, Delhi to step up and have a game every night. You don't need all of them, but you need one of them. So if it's this night, Mirz goes out and gets double digits, the next night you need Tony Snell to go out and get 15. Uh, something like Delhi to come off the bench and get 12 points, uh, Brogdon to go and get 16 another night. Like I, I, They don't have a fourth player good enough that you consistently say they're going to do this every single night. Snell is probably the closest, and I, I, I have a good feeling about Snell this year. I think he's looked really, he's, really he's sharp kind of... in preseason, and he's looked like 
a much more complete score than I ever really saw him as before. But I I think they the books have enough players capable of stepping up to have a night where they're the fourth best player, one in every four nights. And that's really all they need. So I, I do agree with that. I think it's easy to look and go, oh, but they're missing that. Like, I mean, the answer is that, well, Jabari is out injured. So Jabari's healthy. Well, then you can say you have four guys. And I I think their, their bench has plenty of other players who you can rely on every now and then. And it's just, if your team can get more consistent in your effort, it'll be easier for those guys to just pop up and kind of slot in one to the other on a more regular basis. And with that in mind, I think their rotation is deeper. I, like Toledovic and Delhi, they're viewed through a certain prism because of this poor season they had last year. But I think they fit in better this year than maybe they even did at that point because you're now reaching the place where your team is good and you just need them to do certain things at certain times. And I feel they can kind of hit that mark. I think the book's depth is better than a lot of these other teams. Yeah. Um, I just, you kind of, there's one thought I had on Tony Snell. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just because, you know, he was kind of, I mean, this time a year ago, he was straight to the Bucks and was the equivalent of like a Michael Carter Williams. And maybe it's the price tag that is now associated with him after his deal this summer. But I feel like we really overlooked Tony Snell. He's incredibly, I mean, he's one of those players that they really wanted. And if you really think about with not having him, I mean, we're talking about Rashad Bombay, their backup too. And that is a scary place. We saw that two years ago. I don't think he gets enough credit. I'm not saying he can become this, again, like I said, star level player, but he hits threes, takes on, I mean, we talked about Milton kind of being the, take on the best perimeter player. That's Tony Snell's job for this team. And I, that's not going to change. He yeah, really takes I, That's it. important. That, that note in particular is important too, because you're freeing up Middleton so that he doesn't have to take that load either. It should be easier for Middleton to have more energy to exert on the offensive end because he's not having to do that job that he would have had to do two years ago. Yeah. And I don't think that really fit him perfectly as it once looked like it could. Uh, that was just an aside. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, it's, again, I'm talking about, they're still winning 45 games. <laughs> if, you know, based on my projections, yeah, this is that good. I just think there are going to be some aspects to their play that didn't exi- that existed last year that aren't going to carry over. I'm kind of interested in seeing how the rookies are really integrated over a full season. Uh, I'm very interested in how Malcolm Brogdon kind of, you know, how does he not bounce back? I, I can't think of the right word, but how does he, what does he do in the second year after, you know, r- winning rookie of the year after being, starting point guard on a playoff team uh, by the end of the year, where does that go from here? That's a very interesting question that I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to, but then again, 45 wins. That's still, <laughs> that's still a lot for a Bucks team that has not had that, uh, that much in their recent history. My questions are more about the coach and the players. That's simple to say I, I could put it is that, um, if the players find some sort of consistency and Jason Kidd just doesn't have to 
basically get over involved this team can go and win 50 games it's just the what happens if they do hit prolonged ruts what does that mean what happens if malcolm brogdon carries his preseason form into the regular season has a really poor first 10 games delhi has a good first 10 games like are you going and you're making these switches straight away like we've done in years past you know it's it's a tougher spot in terms of making those decisions as a coach, but it's more important to get them right because you're not just, oh, well, we'll just make the change because what does it matter? We're not good anyway. You're a good team in a bad conference. Those decisions mm-hmm. matter. They could be big difference makers at the top end. Um, fa- get a fast start and have a few breaks go your way and anything is possible in the East this year. Legitimately, I mean that. Anything is possible. The Bucks could win the East this year. I don't think they will. The Bucks could win the East this year. If Giannis does come in and have an MVP level season, there's no team in the playoffs that the Bucks should fear. Why not? They could they could be a finals team. Things would have to go their way for that, but the coach is the biggest question mark over all of those possibilities. Yeah. We'll see how it plays out. Just remember at the end of the year, I was the one who gave them home court. Jordan. <laughs> he said, nah, not for me. Um your number four is who? The Washington Wizards. Okay. Wizards are my tree seed. I have them at 48 wins. I have them at 49. I just, uh, the Toronto thing is so distressing to me, but we'll get there. Um, when will we? <laughs> uh, it, it would want to be next, Jordan. It would want to be next. What? <laughs> Just as I said, anything could happen for the Bucks in the East this year. I feel the same very much applies for the Wizards. And if I was a Wizards fan, a Wizards player, a Wizards coach, I would very much like my chances. Um, I think get in the playoffs, this team could go toe-to-toe with anyone in the East and potentially win a seven-game series without it being the biggest upset in the world. They have done what they can to improve their depth this year. It's still not the greatest, but they have made some improvements. On top of that, you've got John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter Jr., and that is an incredibly good trio. Otto Porter may still be on the kind of steps up into making that a trio, but John Wall and Bradley Beal is easily one of the best backcourts in the league. And... I mentioned Giannis and LeBron as the two leading lights in the East. Personally, I'd have John Wall as number three. Yeah. He's that good on both ends of the floor. He can really do it all. And I think every year he seems more and more comfortable in taking on greater responsibility in leading the team. Um, he's, he's starting to remind me more and more of Chris Paul. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing when we consider Chris Paul's playoff record, but uh, the more his career goes on, there's just something about his overall personality and the way he applies himself on the court that evokes Chris Paul to my mind. I think the Wizards are on something. I I said it last year when we kind of talked to this, the hiring a Scott Brooks. I know a lot of people had kind of their own takes on Scotty Brooks from his time at the Thunder. Uh, it's pretty simple, though. He hasn't just had good teams. He's a good coach. and Players like him and players play for him. 
that's a big deal for this Wizards team. They made a major upgrade in making that move. And I think over time, it should all just get better. And having the likes of Markeith Morris, uh, Kelly Oubre, Tim Frazier, who was, I guess, maybe their biggest depth upgrade this year and what was really nothing they gave away from. That was a steal. Uh, Jan Mahimi, they need Jan Mahimi to be healthy. They need just to have some sort of depth at center. He couldn't give them that last year. Mike Scott was another addition, which is interesting for them. If he can capture some of what it was his best player in the Hawks, he could really help them a lot. They have got plenty of good things going for them. And for me, I only see two teams in the East that would have valid claims to having a better regular season record. I would as well. If we had done this maybe a month ago, I would have agreed with that. Markeith Morris is not ready to come back from. I think I saw something that he it's entering week three of a six-week recovery. Considering how thin they are, that's a that's very tough. They're not that thin. I mean, they've got Mike Scott, uh, Jason Smith. That, that's not Jesus. great. Come on. I mean, if you're putting Jason Smith in the East on a court with John Wall, Brad Beal, Otto Porter, and say Gorta, it's not really, it's not a big deal. We'll see. But then again, I'm still saying they have 49 wins. John Wall, sneaky MVP candidate if they crossed that uh, 50 win threshold. Yeah, uh, if they crossed 50 wins, I could see him in the discussion. Bradley Beal, I've already predicted that he's going to make the All-Star team. Uh, that's kind of by default at this point, but that's still a high honor. Otto Porter, perfect for what they wanted. Even though he does have a max offer, that's still they had no they had no other choice. Tim Frazier, totally agree, perfect backup uh, point guard that they needed. They had Trey Burke and Brandon Jennings last year. Awful. <laughs> uh, the center. This is a, more of a discussion about their future than anything. Very interesting. Yamahimi that hasn't lived up to the deal, or you know. What they thought it would be, obviously. Doesn't even mean healthy to even live up or live down to the deal. He's just totally agree. Yeah, Marcin Gortat, I think, is expiring, and it's kind of a weird vibe coming out of that. Jason Smith is their backup, is I guess third string. I don't know. He's kind of a combo big man slash forward. You know who I could see? You know who I could see there next year? Oh, don't you dare, Moose. I get the can. I mean, yeah, Georgetown. Yeah. But I also think he kind of it lines up with some of what they've kind of looked for in their centers in recent years. Yeah, I, I could really, I could see him there next year. Yeah, but well, they'll be, be they'll be no less <laughs> challenged cap wise than the books will be. I mean, Otto yeah. Porter's extension assures that. So, Ed, I'm not saying that's. Who knows? Maybe he won't want to leave. We don't know what's going to happen, Jordan. Don't get down now. But I just think when you're talking about next year, he would well, seem, you like, said it. You he said would seem it. a logical <laughs> target for them. I want to make a note on, I'm going to read through what is essentially their first month in the schedule because you're so worried about Marquise Morris. Are you ready for this? Very. Sixers, Pistons, Nuggets, Lakers, Warriors. That's seven losses right there. Kings, <laughs> Suns. Cavs, Raptors, Mavs, Lakers, Hawks, Kings, Heat, 
Heath. That brings you true to 17th. Teams that aren't... Top sliding right there. Teams that aren't uh, bottom half, probably in their respective conferences playoff races, are only Cavs, Raptors, Warriors, potentially Nuggets. Only Cavs, Raptors, Warriors, I would lock in as top four seeds in either conference. And I, do, I don't even have Raptors top four in mine. So that would mean just Cavs and Warriors in my personal uh, rankings of both conferences. They have a very soft first month of the schedule. And I think they could build up a lot of momentum early on. Even without Markeith Morris. So. The Kiefer. Kiefer. Kiefer Sutherland. Jack Bauer. Okay. As you have just got 24 Tourette's, will we move on to another team? Yes. <laughs> At number three, Jordan. Please tell me you the Toronto Raptors. The Boston Celtics. That's a joke, right? Nope. It's not even funny. This is just stupid. <laughs> How many wins, Jordan? For the Celtics? Well, they are your third seed. 51. Um, are the Raptors your two seed? Mm, yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> we'll do the Raptors because they were my fifth seed <laughs> and we need to get them out of the way sooner rather than later. How many wins again? I had them with 46 wins. You've got 62, have you? <laughs> 53. Well, just tell me why to start with, because I can't disagree with this team much more than I do. They are a proven regular season team. They got rid of DeMarn Carroll, who did not live up to his contract whatsoever. They brought in CJ Miles, good three-point shooter, exactly what they need. Does have injury issues that that may rear its head, but uh, I like they have sneaky depth pieces. Delon Wright feel like he's going to kind of seamlessly transition into becoming a backup point guard. Norman Powell they uh, awarded him a handsome extension. Uh, He's going to have a real role for this team, a consistent role for this team. That is, I, I still, it was kind of dumbfounding that all the, you know, herky jerkiness with his role last year. Just did, I did not understand that. Um, explain the depth. Gonna... Explain the depth beyond what you've just said, and I'm very. <laughs> no, Lucas Nagara is a valuable member of this team. They shoot him. He is. You're, a, you're, you're a, calling this a 50 what win team? 52 win team? 53 win team. 53 win team. And you talked about they've got sneaky death pieces. And I mean, Norman Powell is the only one I could agree with on that. And now you've used Delon Wright and Baby Naguera. Just give me a second. I'm <laughs> looking at it. You're not going to find it better. Ananobi like... is a rookie. With major health concerns. He's a very talented player. I like him. But if that, that's, you know, oh, gee, Ananobi, he's going to bring it to 53 wins. I'm not saying when his win shares are going to be up across, across the board. Just saying there's a sneaky team. There, I, I don't know. They're just the Raptors. They're a very good regular season team. Playoffs is a different story. 
I think their depth but, is even worse than you're giving it credit for because this team shouldn't. And if they do, I mean, what are we even talking about? They, they're not going to get near 50 wins if they do this. Considering what they learned in the playoffs or should have learned last year, Sergio Baca should be starting the season at centre and Jonas Valanciunas should be coming off the bench. And I if don't you, disagree with that. If you do that, you're going to be starting Norm Pell, which then means your second unit is going to be something like Delmroy, KJ McDaniels, or Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Jesus. OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Valentinus. And you think they're winning 53 games? Bingo. <laughs> yeah, I know you've got a bad case of Raptors love for quite a long time. No, I just think... I, I, you're, we all know you're half Canadian. But I also think DeMar DeRozan, I know he's a very flawed player. I know he doesn't fit in uh, how players view, or players, I guess we view players as being efficient, uh, three-point reliant players. Still very good at what he does. Kyle Lowry is a very good point guard, even though he's 31. You know, 31. Also was just paid pretty handsomely. Overpaid. His team, I'm not, I don't think he's overpaid. For that, he might be, you can make a case that he's their best player in franchise uh, For I don't, I don't disagree with that. But for a 31-year-old with very questionable health, Still three years, though. Still three years. Yeah, they, they got the best deal they could, and it's still uh, not so... I, I just, I think any Raptors mystique that I might possibly have had was shattered in the first round last year. When mm. we saw a team that they had I still lost that series, we have to be honest. Yeah, and they should have. They should have been beaten comfortably. This team with endless playoff experience, with years of performing at a high level in Just the Eastern one year, Conference. Really? One year they won one year of playoffs. They had two player series that they won. That's all their play uh, two playoff series that they won, as opposed to what yeah. the books. I mean, they even they made the moves to, you know, freshen it up. And what they looked more than anything in the playoffs was stale. No one finished watching the Raptors in the first round or the second round, which, let's not overlook, was a complete humiliation. Yeah. And said anything other than, this is a team bereft of ideas and in need of change. And what did they do? They brought everyone back. But how reason... I didn't... We talk about that for any team that I mean there was talk about the, with the Cavs and talk about it was talked about from every team from what that finished the worst to the 29th worst team. I mean this that's is not the, how, this is not the Cavs though. I mean they don't have LeBron James. You're I, talking about different players. Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan are very high level players particularly in the Eastern Conference, but they're not they're not LeBron. They are not Giannis. I don't disagree, but I don't think they have any other choice. I don't think the alternative is that much greater. I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm not talking. I'm yeah, not yeah, looking I, to have yeah. a treaties on their future. But I'm saying, if we're talking about how they're going to perform la- this season, I'm saying, well, they looked like they were about to go into decline last year, and now they're the same. They swapped out PJ Tucker for CJ Miles. They lost Corey Joseph. I'm not, I'm not going, oh, you know what? They're better, or they're just as good. No, they're a team in decline. Sergi Bakke isn't even young. Like, what What are they doing with Jonas Valanciunas? Are they going to continue to just experiment with Norm Powell? Were they right not to be trusting him in the first place? And if they give him a larger role now on his 
extension there, he's not going to be as good. I just don't buy into this team. I buy into them enough, obviously, that in the East, they're going to be one of the better teams. They're going to comfortably make the playoffs, uh, be a tough out in the playoffs, where I personally think we're going to have a rematch of last year's series in the first round. But I just, I also, like, Dwayne Casey is, we've, we've gone through a lot of teams here of really good coaches. And that's part of the reason why we're putting them into the playoffs days. I don't think Dwayne Casey matches up to those coaches. Probably, if you look at every coach we've talked about, I think for both of us, if you go down to the teams we had, say, in 10th place, so you've got, say, uh, Mike Budenholzer, Brett Brown, Spolstra, Stan Van Gundy, Steve Clifford, uh, who we talked about, Scotty Brooks. Am I missing anyone? Jason Kidd is the one. Um, (laughs) Jason Kidd is probably the only person who I'd say Dwayne Casey might be a better coach than. And I don't see the reason why Kyle Lowry is going to be healthy. Like, why is Kyle Lowry going to be healthy enough at 31? And let's not forget his injuries before he ever came to the Rockets. It's or Before he ever came to the Raptors, his injuries while he was with the Rockets, uh, mostly. He's had his problems before in his career. What says now that his 31-year-old knees are going to be healthy for 82 games? And if they're not... I mean, you're holding up Dallin Wright as a piece. Dallin Wright starting? My God. It wasn't an argument for starting. I'm just saying depth. No, but I'm saying he's going to start games. Yeah. He could end up starting like 20 games, and that wouldn't even be the end of the world for the Raptors compared to what could happen. I mean, I just just don't get what there is to feel good about this team. I'm not saying they were wrong to bring everyone back because the alternatives aren't better. I agree with you on that. I'm just saying in bringing everyone back, to me, there's no doubt they're bringing back a product that's in decline. It's only going to go backwards from here for the Rocket or for the Raptors. I'm going to keep calling them the Rockets. The Raptors' red glare. It's blinding you. Come on, counter-argue with me. Give me something. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't disagree, but I don't... You do disagree. I, You've got I, I, I do a little games. bit of pushback on this. I don't. I'm not saying Dwayne Casey is the end all be all, but I think at this point in time, even with how things have flamed out for every season except 2015-16, I think he's a very respectable coach. I think a lot of the problems has just become. It's it's tough to kind of build around, or I guess not build around, but change. A team that's really, really hinges on Lowry and DeRozan. And that's why the whole kind of like three-point shooting, pass the ball, you know, integrate things more and make it more of a team thing. The whole Jonas Valanciunas trying to make him an option kind of thing. It's really hard to kind of break out of that shell. And I don't think that, I mean, it's up to the coach to do that, obviously. But I think that's just kind of ingrained with how those players are. They like they shoulder the load because they know that they can do it, even if it doesn't work sometimes. So in that sense, I don't think it's fair to pin it all on them and just kind of how to like unchange their stuff or un- what a really intellectual way to say that unchange <laughs> your stuff. Uh, but I just think it's just that's just how it is with some teams sometimes. And maybe I am overvaluing them and what they've done in the regular seasons past. But in terms of, I guess, 
Well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I think it's more of a comparison to how I view the Celtics more than anything. Uh, I, it's, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, I guess. I, I, to be clear, I don't think that Dwayne Casey isn't a respectable coach. My point was compare him to the coaches we have coming. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like seven places below him. I think Kidd is the only one I could say he's better than. I mean, Brett Brown has stuff to prove still. You can make that case, obviously, because Dwayne Casey's gone and done it. The other guys, I don't think you can say he's better than or as good as. I don't think it's that close. So, I mean, I'd be worried about that. If you don't have a team that's like just incredibly more talented than so many of those guys, that he could get out-coached every kind of once or twice a week almost. And that's a problem. That's a big, big problem. When you have a team that I don't think is kind of as flush with talent as it maybe once was. DeRozan's generally pretty healthy too, I feel. I don't know. I yeah. might be wrong on that, but I can't remember DeMar DeRozan missing any lengthy period of time. I mean, if he does, disaster is there for this team. It's funny, and you know what? They might actually, that could be a best case scenario. The Raptors could do a year where Larry DeRozan go down early and they kind of end up with a top five pick and get someone who can just add life and fresh blood into a team that has those two guys and all of a sudden you have got a real third weapon. I don't know if that would be the worst thing. And when you get to teams that you're talking that way, that's not a good sign for what they're doing at the top of their conference. Let's let's talk about the team who... Uh, let's, let's talk about the team we both have in second place. Uh, well. Yeah. You heard me right, Jordan. No. <laughs> the Cleveland Cavaliers. Wait, what? Yeah. How many wins have you got? Oh. Come on. What? <laughs> yeah, okay. Jordan doesn't have the Cavs in second because he has the Raptors in second. Basically, let's just... You have the Celtics with how many wins? 51 at the third seed. And you have the Cavs with how many wins? 58 first seed okay i have the Cavs as the second seed with 50 wins and i have the celtics as the first seed with 54 wins which team are we going to go to first let's do celtics because i feel a little fiery right. it's feisty. your turn it's your turn to have the fiery bit you have the floor jordan tell me why the celtics <sighs> are worse than the toronto raptors in your opinion I don't think there's an argument that they are a more talented team. They're not built solely on one star, kind of, you know, stirring the make the straw that stirs the drink, as Isaiah Thomas was. But there's a lot of pieces. They have four players that are uh, holdovers from last year's roster. Kyrie Irving is a really good player. We talked about this, I think, during the trade. Yeah, we did a we did a podcast on. It was around the time of the trade where we yeah. were basically looking at how the trade impacted the Bucks' rivals. Uh, I guess the point that you're going to go into, and I agree with wholeheartedly, is that the Celtics' depth is not all that. They have a lot of players to bed in and kind of a lot of things to figure out. Yeah, just we're, this is, you know, Brad Stevens, how the tra- you know trajectory, I mean, everybody recognizes he's a good coach. But he was also kind of, the coach that was recognized as getting the best out of the players that weren't, you know, necessarily the greatest team. Uh, and that doesn't exist anymore. They have the talent that they have 
you know, never had under, you know, ever before under Stevens' tenure. And how he does to kind of cobble that together, that's that's not just that doesn't happen overnight. Even with the Warriors last year as as crazy, you know, as high of a pedestal that we put him on, that still took time to kind of integrate as crazy as that sounds. I know that sounds really crazy. <laughs> but it still happens for a team like them. I just think a lot of the, the as we talked about with Avery Bradley, they're going to really miss him. Like Marcus Smart, I have a weird soft spot for him. I think he is a very good de- defender. Offensively, he is horrible. Uh, Jason Tatum, Jay Crowder, the Marcus Morris was actually a really sneaky p- pickup. I mean, that was, you know, to get rid of Avery Bradley, to get Marcus Morris from the Pistons. They, Boston could have done a lot worse than that. But how they go about it, does he come off the bench? Does Tatum – I mean, Tatum is kind of looming as this kind of X factor for them, and I don't really like that for some reason. I kind of liked him coming in, into the draft. I haven't – again, this is summer league and preseason. I don't know why I'm spending time even <laughs> waiting this in any regard, but I don't really like how he has played. I think – I don't know. Gordon Hayward, it's funny how we kind of – I mean, that is the nature of when you acquire a player like Kyrie Irving. Uh, and obviously how the Celtics traded for Fultz or traded the pick that was going to be Fultz and all that stuff. It's kind of funny how he just kind of hides in the background. He's a good player, obviously, but I don't know. There's just a lot of things that have to be worked out that aren't going to be worked out overnight. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm still pegging them for 51 wins. So I, <laughs> I clearly am respecting them uh, to a degree, but things have to be adjust, uh, adjusted uh, for sure. Yeah, I think the weaknesses, I think that's that kind of goes back to my books point as much as anything, where I say anything is possible for the books this year if you just kind of start fast and get confident because no team in this Eastern Conference is remotely imposing. Um, Like 54 wins is what I have the Celtics at as the one seed. It doesn't happen often that I could think of where 54 wins will have you top of your conference. I think that's the kind of landscape we're looking at in the East this year. Depth is a big issue. I think you're going to see big minutes from their starters. And as a result, they're going to be relying heavily on a slate of good health throughout the year. The thing with that is, I think they're lucky enough that their stars are generally pretty healthy. Bad luck can strike at any time. Uh, Al Horford has had very good health, bar his torn pectoral muscles, which are kind of freak injuries, and the fact that it's happened on both sides to him. I can't legitimately think of that about another player, really. No, it doesn't happen. And he's he's done both sides, and it's not something that's just going to kind of recur very easily. But outside of that, Al Horford has had very, very few injuries in his career. He's kind of a, a remarkably healthy player, considering he's considering the style of play he has, his body type, and the fact that he's been playing center for most of his career, including at a time when, unlike now, he was playing much, much bigger guys. Um, there'd still be people who say Al Horford is undersized for a center now, but if you were to compare that narrative to four years ago, say five years ago, it's crazy just how much that has changed. 
So he is very healthy. Gordon Hayward, uh, another guy, doesn't get that much injuries. Generally pretty durable. Kyrie would be the one who has had injuries on and off, but he tends to have kind of niggling injuries here or there rather than anything overly serious or long-term. Now, the question is going to be, does he get those injuries when he's kind of overloaded? Are they based on fatigue and being worn down? And if they are, I think that big tree on this team are going to have to play a lot of minutes, and maybe that could be the kind of situation where then Kyrie does struggle with his health. I just think they're so much better starting lineup-wise than any other team in this conference that they can be okay, though. I really believe that. I We'll get to the Cavs in a minute, but, I mean, the Cavs have their problems. In particular, they have one unbelievably glaring problem that I just can't get past, and it's really the biggest reason why I'm so down on the Cavs this year. I don't see that straight off the bat for the Celtics. Their holes are deeper. And even with that, though, I think, like, Terry Rozier has actually looked... I've been somewhat impressed by some of the things I've seen from him in preseason and maybe Danny Angel wasn't as crazy as we all thought he was all along. <laughs> um somewhat crazy because you don't say no to some of the deals he did based on Terry Rozier still but he is showing something real and he's kind of got good size he's got he's got a certain skill set that could definitely be useful for them this year uh Marcus Smart is going to be reliably effective or if he ends up being a starter at some point Jalen Brown as the other kind of guy uh coming off the bench in that spot Likewise, they're going to kind of do their job and be effective. I like Gershon Yabuseli. I really just like his all-around game. He's going to be incredibly fun to watch kind of waddle up and down the court every night. Uh, he's just a very entertaining player. Anyone who's watched video on Gershon Yabuseli or watched any Celtics preseason, you probably know that. Aaron Baines is a solid center. As your backup, he's fine. You're right. The question is already what they do at the tree. I don't think Jason Tatum has to be a key piece, though. I think he will need to play and need to play meaningful minutes, but I think you'd want them to, and I don't think it's a big deal. Cracking the rotation in terms of what the best mix of guys is going to be is going to be the key for Brad Stevens. I think he will figure it out, but it's just a matter of how soon he can do it. That is, Sorry, that is one thing that I know we talked about Jason Kidd before, but Brad Stevens, I feel like, is even more egregious with that. I mean, we talked about it with, or talked about it. We saw it with the Celtics and obviously they were in a hole. So it was completely warranted. Um, but going from like, they were starting like Amir Johnson and then they had to go to Gerald Green, who, you know, <laughs> it's just craziest to say like this, that had to happen, but he likes a long rotation. And I think that can benefit a team that he was normally used to coaching a couple years ago. That doesn't. I don't think that's going to benefit. Yeah, I don't team. think he'll do that this year, though. I, I, he's got to be smart enough. That uh, he's gonna, I don't know. Come on. If he's not, I mean, well, then whatever happens to the Celtics is, you know, they deserve it. You don't get Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward to add to Al Horford all in the space of, like, 12 months and then start going, well, you know, we've got to go 12 deep. You know, if you do that, well, then, okay, well, they're going to have problems because they don't have that depth. You've got to adjust to what you have. They used to be that team who would have almost 15 very solid players because they had no really great players. And Isaiah Thomas separated himself from that and he became their leading light. But they don't They don't have Avery Bradley. They don't have Jay Crowder. They don't have Amir Johnson. 
They don't have Kelly Olynyk. They've lost all those depth pieces. So you've got to change your approach. I think there will be an adjustment period in that. I just think they will figure it out. And then it's figuring out what way you stagger guys. So what your combinations are. Like, who do you want Jason Tatum out there with? They're the questions they've got to figure out. I think... uh, I don't think Kyrie and Gordon Hayward are going to play very much together aside from the start and end of games. Because this team just can't afford that. They will need one of those guys on the floor for all 48 minutes, pretty much. I can see that. I just, uh, like, with that, I think there are ways around it. I think they'll they'll get to what they need to. And, again, your record is only generated by how you play against your competition, and it's all relative to their competition. And they've got the edge there. Doesn't mean they're kind of like I think any of my top four could finish in any order. I agree. It just takes a break anywhere. I'm saying my top four because I don't play in on the Raptors, but I understand you feeling that way. If you're higher on the Raptors, like the East isn't so clear. (laughs) The East isn't so clear cut that just something couldn't happen and they end up winning or with the best record in the regular season, you know? Um, But if assuming all things are equal and kind of on terra firma at the start of the year we're looking at it, I go, yeah, the Celtics are the best team in the East. Yeah. Let's move on to the Cavs. Um, I had them at 50 wins and second place you had them in first with how many again? 58? 58. 58 is a lot of wins, Jordan. And it is. Seven win jump from last year. They only won 51 last year? Yeah. So when you ended up 33 games short or something, when you did your first tally, did you give all of them to the Cavs? I gave them, I think, a three-win bump. So I had them like 55. Why do you think they're going to win more games than last year? Well, it's funny that you ask. Well, it's what we're here for. Previewing the Cavs. I know losing a player like Kyrie Irving, you lose your starting point guard. They're not; they don't have anybody to really fill that void because Isaiah Thomas. They have the out. void. They have the void to fill the <laughs> void. They have the void to fill the void. The the reason why uh, I believe the Dallas Bucks account even exists. <laughs> um, yes, Derrick Rose another team. They're very old. I believe they are the oldest team. Uh, they got older. I mean. Jose Calderon, for as old as this team was already was, Jose Calderon in his number eighty one uh, bumped that median up a good couple of years. Uh, I applaud the eccentric number choice. By the way, that said, this is still LeBron James led team. Kevin Love is often uh, slept on. He had a very good season last year. Was he an All Star last year? Am I forgetting? Yes, he was. Was he a fill-in, though, or a legitimate one? I think he was a coach's pick, I think. Maybe he wasn't at all an all-star. Let me check that. Uh, He was an all-star. Ah, he was named a reserve, but he had an arthroscopy on his left knee. Oh, that's right. That's right, yeah. Regardless, he was named an all-star for right reasons. It was legitimately the first season that he looked like Kevin Love of old uh, in a Cavs uniform. They have Jake Crowder. They have more pieces that go together. They have Kyle Korver. 
They have Dwayne Wade, who I think is an upgrade, even though he, I don't, I think he's over the hill. Remember, we have to remember, they had Darren Williams on this team at the end of the year last year. Darren Williams. He's out of the league. Is he in playing in China? Oh, I mean, he might start for this team if he comes back to the NBA. How dare you. Look at their look at their point guard rotation. We can't say they had Darren Williams and then go, oh well now it's all okay. They've got Jose Calderon and the ghost of Derek Rose. I mean and Isaiah Thomas out until probably the start of twenty eighteen. And he's not gonna look the same. No. Never again, in all likelihood. My issues are that there's a lot of things that seem to have been forgotten about the Cavs. There's a lot of talk about <laughs> the best Cavs lineup is gonna be, you know, Kevin Love at center. Well, about that, that's not going to be a good defensive lineup. You're going to get found out horribly. There's a reason why Tristan Thompson was having to start at center. Like, you can go to it in bursts, but I also don't think you're going to have the weapons you think you have. Like, Kevin Love at center, that's trying to counter some form of debt lineup. That works because you just blow teams away offensively. That's fine when you give LeBron the ball, and he's kicking out to the perimeter where he's got Kyrie and J.R. Smith. Now he's going to be kicking out to Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose. Brick after brick after brick. I just... I'd fire Kobe Altman already. Honestly. What? This is just so bad. That what Did you see them giving the Hawks... The, why not keep Kay Felder and get rid of Jose Calderon? Kay Felder's not an NBA player. And Jose Calderon is at this point. Come on. Yeah, him and his number 81. I just, they gave away two second round picks to get rid of Kay Felder and Richard Jefferson. They have no picks as it is. Well, I guess we'll see how Richard Jefferson fares. (laughs) What the the Cavs are doing, honestly, they're doing their best to be in the closest situation you can possibly be to what the Nets were left. We have to remember, we have to remember, not only Darren Williams was in this rotation, Derek Williams was in this rotation. I know it's fun to... Derek Williams is better than Jeff Green. (laughs) No, he's not. No, 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 no. I know it's fun to crap on Jeff Green for right reasons. His career has gone plummeted faster than Enron stock. But... Jeff Green is a legitimate NBA player. Derek Williams, is. Is. and I, I will hold. I remember when people were, were comparing Derek Williams to Jabari, and I will never forget it. <laughs> that was like a few, few months ago, right? People uh, don't. Yeah, exactly. God, we, we clearly see differently on this. I think the only positive that they have in their summer is Jay Crowder, and the Nets pick. Yeah, it's not enough it's, of a positive. Avenue, we talked about this before. They still they had no other way to get a pick of what that could be. Right, okay. But if LeBron leaves this summer, it's not gonna matter. They they don't have other picks after that. They still don't Mm -hmm. care about their picks. I heard LeBron is a big uh, Michael Porter fan. Do you do you have enough faith in the Cavs to say that if they're having a good season, but not quite as good as they'd like. Probably the sort of thing I'm describing. If they're behind the Celtics, but on track for, say, 50 wins, which it's going to worry LeBron. It's going to worry them as a whole. And the Warriors are tearing things up out west. Do you trust the Cavs enough not to go and use that Nets pick to upgrade their roster at the trade deadline? No, I don't think, that, I don't think they're going to use it. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I, I honestly, I think 
that's the kind of thing we're dealing with. Because I, I, I understand they've got LeBron and he's their hometown guy and they've already been through this and they will, I was going to say they probably won't, they will never see the likes of him again uh, because not many NBA teams ever will see the likes of a player like LeBron. So they're just trying to desperately throw whatever at the wall and figure out something that works. But that when you're bringing in just, oh my God, Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose at this point in their careers, you're bringing back Kyle Korver, who, I mean, looked really to be slowing down and is now getting older and is going to continue to get older in your team. He the hell out of the ball last year for them. He did. I don't think it's going to continue, though. Yeah, but again, again, that's relative. That's like that's like the point I made about Kevin Love playing center. That's you can do that if Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, uh, Kevin Love, say Channing Frye, and whatever are the other players on the floor with Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver is going to get looks this year. The lineups he's going to be on the floor on. He's the only guy to guard behind the three point line. Kevin Love disagrees. LeBron disagrees. I also have to make this point out. They're the East. They're going to beat up the the horrible teams at the bottom. They have to play Chicago four times. They have to play like the Knicks three or four times. They have to play the Pacers four times. They have to play the Pistons four times. I mean, they're going to just clobber those teams. They will clobber those teams. Uh, and this is like we talked on our the previous episode of our podcast. We had a mailbag question about what's more important to the books, beating the bad teams or beating the good teams. The thing that I have faith in this Cavs team doing is beating the bad teams. If uh, Bucks or Wizards or the Celtics swept the Cavs this year in a season series, would I be surprised though? No, absolutely not. And you're, you're right. It may not, but yeah, but you're right. That may not matter in the overall scheme of things because if they just take care of what they should take care of, well, then they'll be fine. And we have to remember, they were a 500 team in the second half of the year or after January 1st last year because they were terrible defensively. Now, that could carry over, and I could eat my words in that way. But but how are they better? They're a bad defensive team. How are they anyway good defensively? Time will tell. No, name good defensive players. You LeBron, can give me Jay Crowder. LeBron, Jay Crowder, Tristan Thompson. And we're done. Shetty <laughs> Seriously, we're done. We haven't they, even talked about Shetty. They are Big Cheddar. We have to talk about Big Cheddar. A car crash defensively. It's unbelievable just how bad they will be compared to some of the recent things we've seen defensively from the Cavs. They're gonna have major issues. And I think they're gonna use lineups that are only gonna accentuate that. What if Jay Crowder and LeBron are on the floor at the same time and off the floor at the same time? Then they'll uh, sit together on the bench. <laughs> uh, I'll probably get some angry tweets from people about this section, not because of any particular loyalty or feelings about the Cavs, but because there is a massive segment of people out there who like to live in the past and believe that Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade are still superstars. That. How could the Cavs not win that championship? They've got Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade. Uh, I think you'll find out a thing or two this year. A thing or two about Father Time. Anything to add, Jordan? I have made my peace. Okay, to wrap it up, 
I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine questions for you. Nine? Yeah, you might even be prepared for three of these, but you'll be able to do them on the spot. Who comes out of the East? Cleveland. Boston. Oh, good God. Who do the Cavs beat in the conference finals? These are extra questions, so it's more than nine now, but just while we're here. This is not what I signed up for. Boston. Wizards. What? What is going on? I think the Wizards beat the Cavs in the second round. Uh, I honestly, uh, LeBron is incredible. I've I've had a very difficult to pick against him, but I don't see what else he has with him to pick with. This reminds me of like first time around in Cleveland. It's like we've got to we've got to do something to help LeBron. What will we do? Let's get old Shaq. They've gone and got old Wade and old Rose. It's like. The only argument is old is, shack the sequel to the b52's <laughs> love shack <laughs> yeah it is um, old shack baby old sorry quite this quite the same voice you have there um i'm no fred schneider <laughs> western conference champion who who emerges from the west into the finals the warriors who do they beat What was that? Thunder. Thunder, sorry. I also <laughs> go with the Thunder Jordan. And your NBA champion is? The Warriors. The Warriors, yeah. I was worried you were going to say Cavaliers there. Um, so I have, I, have the Warriors, I have the Warriors beating the Celtics in the final. Jordan has the Warriors beating the Cavs. Oh, my God. Jordan Tresky. Who is your MVP? LeBron. James. I agree. I think LeBron carrying that team to 50 wins is going to be one of his best achievements yet. I Genuinely, I think wait till you see just how bad this team will be in certain ways and just how close they are to the league's elite in other ways and people will go, wow. I, I think LeBron is going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting this year. Not the kind of heavy lifting you want him to do in a year where he will then have to make a decision if he wants to do it again for multiple more years. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think LeBron will regain his MVP. Rookie of the year, Jordan. I don't like this pick, but I have to stick to my guns. Lonzo Ball. I've got Ben Simmons. This is probably the better choice. I don't like it either, to be honest. Um... I had to fight the rebellious streak I have to stop myself from going Donovan <laughs> Mitchell. That really, streak is showing. I really don't have that streak. It's a joke. You have the Celtics the finals. I'm the one with the logic, Jordan. Uh, I, I wanted to go Donovan Mitchell or John Collins or Milos Teodosic, but ultimately I said, you know what? I mentioned this earlier, I just think the extra year of experience is really going to help. Um, I think he's going to be ready to go. And plus, if Embiid is healthy with his passing ability, he's going to put up numbers. So, yeah, I'm a Ben Simmons. You want to give any justification to your Lonzo Ball pick? Why? Well, I... I don't know. I, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very confident in this. Okay, so you don't want to give justification to it. All right. I, if, I mean, this answer probably gives me unjustification which is the sequel to justin timberlake's justified justified cry me a river everyone cry me a river defensive player of the year Draymond. i've got rudy gobert 
Goody Robert. I think the difference this year is just that, as we talked about last week, that Jazz team is going to be so stifling defensively. Um, I think Gobert will get even more credit than is necessarily owned to him individually, but would still be a very deserving winner. To be honest, if he had a one last year, it would have been deserving too. So I think he'll get get it this year. Coach of the year, Jordan. You're sticking with your your teaser you put out there last week. I am. And I am, unlike my Alonzo prediction, I am confident in this one. I am justified. Michael Malone. I'm going with Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, I, I can only really... He won, uh, He did win his first year with the Bulls, right? Um, I don't know about that. I think you're right. 60-win team, I would figure. Well, basically, all I could do is I, I took another look at my predictions and I said, okay, if things play out as I expect them to, which team is probably overperforming expectations to the point where you'd say, yeah, that's a standout. And it was the Timberwolves. I had the Timberwolves with the fourth seed and with 50 wins. I think that would get it done. Getting the fourth seed home court advantage, if they did that in that conference, I think that would earn Tibbs the coach of the year over anyone else. I, I did consider Mike Malone still. I have the Nuggets as a sixth seed. I considered Quinn Snyder for the Jazz at seven. Thought maybe Brett Brown for bringing the Sixers back into the playoffs. I think if things play out as I have predicted, it would have to be Tibbs. So I stuck with Tibbs. I can't fault you for that. You sure did when I first said it, but I'm glad to have won you over. Yeah. Six man of the year, Jordan. Uh, this is not that surprising. Going Lou Williams of the Clippers. Interesting. I'm going with a Clipper, but a different Milos. Clipper. Milos. Yeah, I'm, go- I'm going with Milos. Oh. Uh, this would kind of book the trend for what wins you six man of the year, which is generally just buckets. Um. Uh, I think Milos could have a lot of assists, so enough assists that people might just go, how can you not pick that guy? And he's, the way he's so... I think there's something to be said for... Just if, you, if you're coming off the bench, hitting shots at a reasonable rate and scoring, you know, six-man-of-the-like or six-man-of-the-year-like numbers, that stands out for a reason. I think the same could be applied to Teodosic if he were to win it because... His passing and the assist that he just carves up, or not carves up, but, you know, uh, accrues uh, night in, night out, I think that will stand out. So yeah. I, I understand that. I think uh, the way I ultimately came to it is, well, if we say it's not scoring that actually wins, but it's like an offensive spark plug, someone who yeah. can really heat up a team in the second unit, I think he can play that same kind of role. And, yeah, it's just more interesting than going, oh, Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, those kind of players. So I've got Milos. Uh, lastly, I think, is lastly, right? Mm-hmm. Most improved player, Jordan? Nikola Jokic. Uh, I've got D'Angelo Russell. Mm. You're just working, I guess, on the Jokic progression from just missing out last year to... Yeah, it's very... The yeah, one concern like... I'd have with that, though, is... I feel Jokic took a bigger step last year than maybe Giannis took, and I don't know what next level he has to hit to to actually be improved enough this year to win most improved. See, that's a thing too, but I think we also said that about Giannis last year heading into the year, and 
he did have a bigger leap than what Jokic could possibly have. But I think it's one of those things that if you're a playoff team, if you're more consistent, and if people watch you, uh, that's going to stand out. It's not a flashy pick, but I think it's we, – we saw with Giannis, I think it could be applied to Jokic this year. I think the the visibility thing and playoffs would be significant in that, but he is coming off a base of just under 17 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know... I mean, improve on that, and you are... (laughs) (laughs) But if he he averages 25, 14, and 8, yeah, I think he should win most improves and probably MVP. Um, (laughs) But, like, I respect the pick. I understand it, and... uh, I am a noted Nikola Jokic stan. I've decided to be quiet on this because for some reason it has become the most divisive issue in the history of the world. don't know if anyone has noticed that this summer, but for whatever reason, the people who don't watch Jokic have decided to be very vocal about it. Uh, I went for D'Angelo Russell because he's going to have close to free reign with, I think, a better coach on a better team. And in a weaker conference, and they have players who will be pretty effective and they will help around him without necessarily getting in his way. He will be the guy on that team. And I think he is good enough and talented enough that he can really show that off. And by the end of the season, I think the Lakers could look really pretty pretty dumb for trading him as, as a tool just to get rid of Mozgov if he can put together the kind of year I think he can. And that is it season previews predictions all that stuff is done it is now time oh i have one more award i'm joking joking. we'll be back with you next week if something dramatic doesn't bring us back sooner in the meantime you can subscribe to us on itunes follow us on soundcloud add us on stitcher you can also find us on tuning radio you can check out mine and Jordan's books writing at behindthebookpass.com and we will be back with you very soon. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.